Greetings, Standard Nerds. This is Tom Catamonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And Christopher McClanahan of DeeplyDapper.com. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! This week we appease the beast with our review of the season finale of season 6 of Game of Thrones... A little bit of news, and everything else you love from Robot Kraken, Sucking the Monkey, The Shipyard, and more. Uh, okay, so Chris, I have a question for you. How you yes. doing? I'm good. How are don't you? Tell me ti- don't tell me tired and headaches. Just say, I'm, swell- I'm, I'm swelling. I'm swelling. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> it's been 8 to 12 hours. I'm starting to stiffen. Right. No, uh, so... So did you? So here's the thing. I know that you've been killing time for the past two days so that we could talk about Game of Tolls. Yeah, I have. I've been it's, sitting it's, right in front of my my Yeti blue microphone with my Kraken <laughs> spiced rum in hand, waiting for you to get your ass in gear so we can review this. I've watched it two and a half times now. I even have notes. Ooh, Lord, they're Lord, literally they... just a timeline of what happened in this action-packed episode. But I have notes all the same. I feel Chris. fancy. If you have notes and I have notes, this is a level we've never reached before on this podcast. And the best part is I imagine you just staring at an animated gif of one of the scenes of the finale over and over and over. Sun comes up, sun goes down. Yes. Yeah, so we we would have ideally recorded this right after the show and then we couldn't because I had a business trip at I had to leave it for, get up at four in the morning, so we wisely waited until I got back from my trip. And, yeah, and that's probably a good call. That's given us two days to think about the, the the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows of this episode, right? Yes, there weren't many to be, lows. To be fair, I think there's a ghost behind you, and I'm a little bit concerned about it. Which ghost? I there's mean, a ghost, there's a ghost behind you. Which oh, ghost? the the white thing behind me. It's I just move. I just gestured it with my mouse as if you could see where my mouse went on <laughs> Skype. <laughs> that's that's uh, the ghost of one of my exercise machines that is no longer with us, sadly. So I had to encase it in a shroud. But so why is it moving? Because there may or may not be a fan blowing it, mm, or it could be haunted. You never know. I, I see shapes and depths. In there, murky depths. <laughs> Not to stress you out, but <laughs> if you see it suddenly start moving towards me, then we have issues. If I it's see, just I... shimmying in the background, it's just atmosphere for you, my I friend. I see one of those zombie nuns from Conjuring kind of behind you over there. Not that I watch Conjuring, but I'm aware of it. Okay, so uh, Chris, I have a I have a question for you, and it involves what's that in your in your in your petite delicate little hand there? Ooh, thank you. I am drinking, well, I'm not drinking yet, but I'm about to open a, look at that. Nice. I am drinking a Sam Adams Belgian Session beer. That's the taste that refreshes, isn't it? I don't know. It doesn't say that it refreshes. It does say it has hops and (laughs) citrus character (laughs) and slightly spicy flavor. I don't know. Let me taste it. Let me taste it. Here we go. Right off the rails. Eight minutes in. 
It's a little spicy. Is it spicy? For a Sam Adams, it's it's a little wintry, to be honest. It's not the most <laughs> summery of beers, but... Damn, you just reminded me how much I've, I've ruined this whole podcast, and we're just... We might as well just shut down. Because this weekend, I looked in my mini fridge out in the garage, and I noticed that I had from one of the combo packs of beers, it was a winter ale from one of the, I don't remember which of the breweries it was, and I said to myself, self, I'm going to drink this winter ale when we're talking about Game of Tolls, because winter, winter, has, come, is winter has come, Yes, I can drink my winter ale, and you're drinking a winter, wintry ale, yes. and it would have been perfectly synchronized, and instead, I'm having... The mother of all my ties. Whoa! <laughs> Just exactly. That is the, in one of those novelty skull-shaped pitchers. It's not even a mug. It's a pitcher. <laughs> first of all, that, there's no novelty here. This is pure dedication to the theme of wow. our podcast. So, the lime is, is very nice. It's jaunty, isn't it? It makes me want lime. It's a little off to the side, like a jaunty little you know, side mm-hmm. It's a side lime. And also... Uh, also... This is as south as it gets for Game of Tolls to drink as <laughs> in us, but it's appropriate it's in a skull, though. So yes, that's also, excellent. Damn. Given the given the scale of this and knowing that I I made this uh, from the Trader Vic's recipe, of, you know, this is a, a real mai tai. By hour four of our podcast, I'm just going to be a little bit tipsy, as if that's anything unusual. <laughs> <laughs> be podcasting upside down. Where are you, man? <laughs> right. So that's, I guess, our. Our, uh, That's our, sucking the monkey, uh, which we forgot to introduce as the sucking the monkey segment. This was the sucking the monkey segment. Yes. The, our longtime listeners, all three hundred thirty-three thousand of them, know full well that we start with sucking the monkey, and in some ways we end up there. Goddamn right. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, Chris, I have a question. Um, I think you, you correct me if you think we should go a different way, but I think we should talk about our famous segment, the shipyard, the one everyone is talking about. Yard. Everybody talks about it. You know, in Maine, the front yard of a house is called the Doy Yard. The Doy Yard. <laughs> You're reminding me, uh, my friend Long and yours had to educate me on uh, Philly, Philly versus, uh, what was it, Pittsburgh versus Philly accents and expressions. Oh, yeah. He was making references to his, his Pittsburgh upbringing and certain... It's the the word is yins instead of it's kind of, it's a kind of equivalent to the South saying y'all ah. or, or the Southwest, um, and I couldn't wrap my head around how you would use yins. yins, and so he was trying to explain it, and he you know in typical fashion he wrote a five paragraph essay about it. <laughs> I could not. I was still like, well, okay, and then I went to YouTube and and I found videos on people demonstrating how to use the the Pittsburgh accent, and now I understand it. Does it, it still to, sound stupid? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it has to be done fast, right? Oh, okay. That Wayne's makes going. sense. Wayne's going. Uh, Wayne, so it's Wayne's just more doing. of a an add-on to the end of a word kind of thing. Yeah, like interesting. Wayne's Wayne's doing. So it's more week. of like a like a youngins that they've cut the younger part no, off. I think of. it's like yeah, I I can't figure out. Well, so, okay. So here's the thing. I was looking at the etymology of the accent of Pittsburgh and. Some of the stuff I read said that there was a large contingent of uh, Irish drunks, immigrants. Yes, <laughs> Irish immigrants that came over that were bringing—I don't know—is it Gaelic? Uh, sure. Or is that Welsh? <laughs> Ugh. 
Welsh well, is not it, Irish. I can, it certainly I can clarify I'm that. To, <laughs> I'm trying to think of Gaelic. The, it was, was Irish or Scottish. I've ruined us. I've ruined us for our potential inclusion in the EU right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they voted to not include us. That was a, an addendum to the, the Brixton Pact or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> they did. They did. But so anyway, my point is if you think about, uh, you know, old Irish – which has a very, it's a very interesting language. Mm-hmm. You imagine the accent to that blended in with other European and other European accents, and and then American accents all blended together. Then you could see why there's that. Oh, where, Sharon, where I'm thinking about it right now, laddie. No, it's, it's not that at all. It's <laughs> it's it's like our old friend Rumsey Bolton's family might have a Rumsey, <laughs> Rumsey. All right, well, this hot mess is. Old Grandpa Rumsey. how California I am. So <laughs> I didn't double major in history or anything. Anyway. Okay, so what are, so. You, what are you working on in your shipyard out there in near South Africa? South Africa. <laughs> you don't live in South Africa. Where do you live? You're a silly man. I you live, live in near Northern San California. Francisco. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> I'm in South Africa. So you're, I, you're in your dooryard. Yeah, I'm in the dooryard here in oh. Idaho. And you're in South Africa via Northern California. It's just a good thing that neither of us have one of those giant gongs in our house because some <laughs> someone would have come along and hit it. All right. What do you think is so, behind the sheet, man? <laughs> Go sleep. I didn't say what that, kind of exercise machine. It's good exercise banging the gong. <laughs> and I realize, of course, now that you say that, this explains why I always catch you with just the the, the wrap. The <laughs> undercarriage wrap. Just wearing the man diaper and a That's... giant pallet. <laughs> mallet. Pallet mallet. You know, later on in post, you should um, – because well, I say post because that's a thing we say. It's a production thing. But So in post, I think you should take this whole segment and edit it into the back when we're a hot mess <laughs> and it makes sense that we would talk this way. It's stupid. <laughs> because I've had three swallows of a beer right now. I haven't even started my my – tankered of my tithe. I was in the, the sun for a really long time today though, so my brain is like that's I'm a, I'm a fat guy. I don't do well in sun <laughs> type situations. Well, I think you could say that about most most people on this planet and uh, actually that's not true. I Are you calling people... everyone on the planet fat, Tom? Tom is nope. calling you all out. Me, I I'm was... here begging a gong to get svelte for bikini season. I was attempting <laughs> to say that the Actually, the majority of people on this planet are accustomed to sweltering heat. That's just my awareness of the massive populations of India and Africa, but that's okay. South now, Africa, where Tom lives, is very warm. <laughs> so, Chris, I'm going to talk about the shipyard now. Enough of your nonsense, okay? So, I think you're I'm the one do. that brought us to, to South Philly, born and bred, and <laughs> yins and all that nonsense, sir. Yins want to start the shipyard? <laughs> yes, you do. So, here it is. It's not even the right usage, I don't think. You know, I have a feeling that... Lung know, is going to call you out. Might. And if and also, if we were to go to Pittsburgh, someone would say something about it. Because in all the videos I've seen of real Pittsburghians, they like to call people out. And they would love to call Californians out. And they would love to call diminutive Idahoans in men diapers or whatever in the sweltering heat. They would call you out, too. Pittsburghy listeners, call, call us out. You can send us an email at salty at robot-kraken.com. Now you've done it. Okay, so here's what I've been doing. Uh, I've been drawing. So this is important. 
because like I said, uh, I've been doing whatever's the opposite of drawing and now I've been drawing again. It's great. Erasing. So <laughs> what you're <laughs> At least I know you're on you're on. You're sharp tonight. You're listening <laughs> and providing responses that are I'm not looking up photos of Emma Stone at all. At all. <laughs> so I forgot to... I was gonna I was gonna claim that my drink was called the the, the Emma's Garter because I thought that was a ah. good name for it. I don't know about, about the photo. skull tankard for it being called the Emma's Garter. <laughs> you so you snuck that photo of Emma Stone into our little uh, script here, and of course, yes, I did. Um, it took me a while to process it, right? And I had to think, <laughs> think about my feelings. Um, anyway, when I came to uh, the one thing I remember about that photo is because she's doing all of that, um, uh, you know, all the makeup and everything that goes with that costume for the mm. for the is it um, charade. No, yes. It's, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was charade. Yeah, so you know she's got that heavy burlesque makeup on, so mm-hmm. it's the really thick eyeshadow and the really strong lips, and it's kind of it's kind of uh, jarring with her very pale features, right? Right. Now, if you were to take that same photo and have like normal Emma Stone coloring, um, yeah, you you'd get one of those blue screens of death or a <laughs> clear curtain of death, depending right. on the computer you had. Uh, anyway, less interesting. Uh, I've been working on my bots and bugaboos project. Mostly uh, how is this fr- coming? Very frustrating. <laughs> um, so the good. So the first few years that I was collecting uh, these post-it sketches of of bots and bugaboos that I would do, um, I dutifully would scan them, you know, and then I might tweak the tweak the filters a bit in Photoshop and then post them to give them a certain look. But I had these nice high res scans of like everything I do, extremely high res, unnecessarily high res. Images right. of things, and then uh, I don't know. Right around the time I became accustomed to doing everything in Instagram, I started taking photos of the post-it and then processing it in Instagram, a little vignetting or whatever, and then sending it right. out the door. So now the more recent <clears throat> stuff, until the most recent where I got inspired to do this this book, you know, the most recent stuff of the last few years is really low res, and it's been heavily, you know, it's a photograph. So right. The, the the lights and darks and the and you know if you were to look at the the color process of the image, it's, you know, it's all, it's all jangy, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a clean scan. It's got all the weird effects of it being a photograph in natural light. So uh, I was trying to use processing to try to capture some of this stuff and clean up the inks so that I could then maybe print these on Bristol and then I can start doing my uh, cop- Copic. Okay. Copic or possibly Copic. Copic. Maybe Copic. Possibly, or, or or maybe even Copic or Copic. I would use either of those. <laughs> Faber Castell, son of a bitch. And so anyway, so the whole thing was how do I capture you know two hundred of these that I'm I'm considering including in the books um, without having to redraw them, right? Right. So I tried to do all this processing in Photoshop and Illustrator, this whole setup that Lung uh, sorted out for me. And you know some of them work okay. Some of them look a little blobby when Illustrator, you know, traces the the line work and tries to. Um, vectorize it and then and then some of them just are just hot messes right because it just can't deal with all the the yuck in the photograph so i so think on those you didn't save all of these in some sort of file somewhere i have a hard time believing you don't have of anyone i know you don't have like all of those collected somewhere here's the problem i do have files of the post-its i did of just random characters of the day mm-hmm. and all those other ones i did but of these i did most of them more recently than then those other ones, you know, around the time that my kids have gotten into stuff and uh, drawn, and the same reason that you've seen art 
of my original art that would be fantastic to <laughs> sell or show, except it's got scribble scrabble all over it. Right. Because I was helped. Right. So anyway, I think a lot of them uh, met their makers that way. That so makes sense. I have some in inventory that I can go through and see if I can capture, but otherwise what I'm just going to end up doing is light tabling them. You know, the old school way, like you've done much of your work, it's just, you know, for efficiency and running out of time, I was hoping <laughs> right. to be able to do more digital processing and then just spend my time using uh, Copics or Copics or Copics, either any of those, any of those on those prints. But anyway, we'll see. But I got a lot of the organization of it done and figured out what was working and what wasn't. So that was good. Okay. Um, also, I almost finished a coloring and a apocalypse redesign oh it will look very third rail but not very apocalypse ish <laughs> certainly not movie does he have model. lips mm, no blasphemy though he has armor plating that sort of suggests that shape oh intriguing. uh so yeah stay tuned you'll see where can people go to see this remake thirdraildesignlab.com as soon as it's ready or or behance or Instagram or Facebook or a million other places that I'll post it. But anyway, it's not there. <laughs> uh, I also did work on one that will be for an upcoming uh, jam, which is the a redesign of the character Vixen. Okay. See, which I never liked the look of that character. <clears throat> I'm not even sure who that is. She's uh, yeah, she's like has animal powers, orange jumpsuit, short hair. Anyway, so. <laughs> um, so I redesigned it. And then uh, also I took an, a sketch that I did a few months ago of Iron Fist and I digitally inked and colored that. This I did on the trip yesterday, mostly on the plane or waiting for the plane using the iPad. And, right you know, on. My, my pencil. So that was cool. And uh, also I had to re- try to figure out how to undo all those mess- these messed up settings because my kids, as soon as they see that thing, they want to color on mm-hmm, it too. Right. And so they go and they tweak the they accidentally just go in and tweak the settings of the brushes and then procreate on the iPad. It's just this in- insanely powerful tool. You can customize every brush a million ways, just like you can on Photoshop, but it's mm-hmm. much more designed to just throw you right into that. Photoshop, you have to work at it, right? Right. Okay, it's just like sliders galore. We just dive right in. And so they dove. And so my brushes were all like, you know, gunshot wounds. <laughs> gunshot wounds, and I had to change it all, so took me a while also i did i got halfway through penciling a, a design for a hydra cap for the jam that happened a few weeks ago and uh what's the jam you might ask what is what's the jam i short, ask short-term listeners may not be familiar with the art jam that we've had since 2006 on various websites it's been that long wow it's actually a little bit earlier than 2006 but that's when my archives start so this jam is an art it was a weekly art jam that was Jam is a very early aughts term. It really right? is, yeah. It started, it, this started in newsgroups, right? Which mm-hmm. were sort of like the early aughts version of bulletin boards, right? I mean, it was <laughs> right. I mean, it was all all list based, email based groups. Yeah, and it, we did that for years, um, and it, you know, it was in Darren's hands for a while, and it was called the This Week Jam, mm. and then eventually I took it on, and it had a few names, but these days it's known as the just the TRDL Art Jam. Yeah, and. Uh, can find it on the forum, the R3 forum that's attached to thirdraildesignlab.com, which you can get to that. Um, or it's also on Facebook through the through the group. And um, and you can and its primary home really these days is DeviantArt. If you yeah. look for uh, the TRDL, uh, what's it called? TRDL This Week Jam or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah or just find me at Third Rail Design Lab on DeviantArt. Yeah, it's definitely you. the most active on DeviantArt. 
Yeah, yeah. If you and you can find the group through me there, and and we have a lot of people who submit on DeviantArt, which is great. And uh, I mean, there was a time when we were getting thirty new pieces a week from people we knew, right? right. Active. You you were involved in this for years, and that's how I met you, actually. Right. But, um, but uh, <clears throat> these days, most of that generation of artists are, are are professionals or family folk or whatever, and they right. don't have as much time, but. It's got new life on DeviantArt. But uh, anyway, so every week we pick another character, throw it up there, and uh, and then I have a, a Google spreadsheet that shows all the character jams going back to 2006 that you can check out. <laughs> um, but I, I encourage any uh, artists who are listening to this sweet, sweet podcast that uh, um, think about participating to jump in there and join because, you know, you can use it as a warm-up. You can yeah. use it as redesign challenge like i often do um you could just use it as an excuse to draw something cool when you otherwise have yeah commercial commercial. anyone even if you just feel like sketching something on a post-it note and then losing it later send Uh that in uh yeah it's under trdl dash r3 dash weekly jam is the name as it appears in the group but if you just look up I think if you just look up TRDL on DeviantArt, it comes up. But we'll put links in our show write-ups for this. We will super link. And the only problem is DeviantArt won't let me change it. I'd love to shorten it. Um, TRDL Art Jam or something, but I can't change it. I'd have to create a new group, and that's death on DeviantArt. Nonsense. Um, So this week's character, just to what your whistle is a weird one, it's uh, to draw Mary Jane in a costume. Mary I got Jane. a costume for former oh, <laughs> former love interest and or wife of Spider-Man in various iterations of the continuity. Um, this actually was born out of uh, another website that hosts a, an art project every week. Um, which um, when you come to when you come to our site and look at the jam, you'll see the links to that. But um, the uh, the idea there is that um, I think it was inspired by. The recent news from Marvel, you know, I don't know, I'm not too up to date. As you know, I'm three or four years behind, three <laughs> years behind on my Marvel reading. But, you know, recently they announced that, um, you know, they're doing the whole Civil War thing. But on the side of that, they've also, um, they've been showing a couple of different plot lines that they've been posting to the news sites. And one of them is that they have apparently shifted Mary Jane into the Tony Stark sphere of stories. Mm. And he's been involved with her, and at some point he's Weird. given her he's given her the rescue armor that he built for Pepper Potts, and she oh, was running okay. that for a while. And who knows? Probably an episode, maybe like one or two issues, and it's done. But that was the gimmick that hmm. that led to this jam. Um, Challengers Assemble is the blog that um, that I have put a few submitted a few things for their weekly jams. Um, and so when I saw that they posted this as the as the subject for the week, I thought that was a really weird but interesting one. I thought, oh, we'll do that. So we did. So we closed. So if you submit to ours, you can also submit to theirs. Right on. Links are plenty. So I Yay. haven't de- synergy. I haven't, synergy. I haven't decided what I'm going to do, but uh, I'll tell you this: it'll be sweet. I'm sure it will. I'll probably draw her looking like Tim Curry in drag for Rocky <laughs> Horror because <laughs> that's at the top of my queue, and I've got to get it done in time for the next con. <laughs> See, this is the kind of jam, though, that you would have just, in leaner times, you would have just jumped in yeah. with sort of shoeless, highly accurate, incredible piece of illustration <laughs> that took like eight days on a light table. It would have been I got re- responsibilities now, and it sucks. 
but Grimdrawer <laughs> looking like soap. Anyway, so yeah. that's what I've got. So I'm thinking about what that's going to be while I'm working on the important stuff. Right what about on. you? Uh, I, honestly, like I just finished a commission that is way overdue. Um, I've got a few things coming up, but most of it is just kind of prep work for the cons I have coming. Uh, August, September, October, I'm just like nonstop comic cons. And I have a That's few projects. Crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it, but I'm also like anxious because we at the same time we have a Kickstarter that's going to be active during it. Um, I'm also working on some enamel pins, and so I'm working on design work for that, which is been interesting because it's something where the detail level is high enough that you can kind of translate an illustration to it, but you have to make certain adjustments and like, it looks better if you plan it with the pin in mind kind of thing. So, so it's been kind of, it's been an interesting week. I'm working on a lot of stuff that I haven't really done much with. That's exciting though. I'm really excited about these pins. I plan to have you make several for me. Of about of things that I'm really interested in, like Emma, Emma Stone <laughs> in, in, in lingerie. Nothing like having pin. Emma Stone on your lapel. Oh yes, of course. So uh, that's exciting, and I think it's going to be really neat because the, the the material quality of those pins is so fantastic. It's amazing how nice they've gotten. Yeah. So anyway, so that's cool. And uh, you, how soon before you have have you made any prototypes that? I've not. No. Um, uh, By the time this airs, I will hopefully have my first pin designed and ordered uh, because I'm hoping to have it in time for Salt Lake or for Star Trek Las Vegas, which is Mm. the first week in August. So, you know, I've got a little bit of time frame, but there's a turnaround on it. So. We'll see. Uh, the first one I'm des- I'm designing three initially. One of them is going to be our little flying eyeball that we use on Deeply Dapper dispatches. Oh yes. Um, we're doing a tentacle, obviously, for Deeply Dapper, and then I'm doing an old timey ray gun, and that's actually the oh, first wow. one I'm doing. Um, I think that one will do pretty well at Star Trek and a few of those cons. Sure. And I just thought it'd be really fun to draw and kind of a sweet finned old timey ray gun. Oh so. yeah. yeah. The, the aerodynamics <laughs> are really what make them work. So yeah. Well. That sounds cool. I can't wait to see those. And I want you to make a thousand for me. The problem, <laughs> even back when I was doing, when I had the opportunity to make regular little, you know, lapel, but you know, those little button, mm-hmm. cheapy little buttons with a button maker as I was struggling with the burden of choice. It's just like, I feel when trying to think of what to make as prints. Right. Know, for the cons. It's like, well, uh, could do a thousand different images. You're so good at self curating. <laughs> I just self cure. I just self-curate. don't have enough of uh, the other products to choose from. I don't have nearly the volume you do on art. <laughs> Nonsense. You have plenty of volume, Chris. We've established that. Not in so, art. Okay. <laughs> I cannot believe the cons are approaching, man. I mean, for you, they've just been never ending, but for me, they're approaching yes. and stay behind. Yeah, you need to get your, your tentacled ass in gear. Here's what's going to happen. I'm either going to get all that stuff done and show up with some sweet, sweet stuff, or I'm going to do something else. Or you'll just show up. We'll eat donuts. We'll talk to comic <laughs> artists. Still and have a ton of, have we'll a drink product. honey whiskey. That's right. That's I have how a ton we of roll. <laughs> I'm going to make some prints. I'm going to make some prints and some other merch as well. So I mean, right I'll on. have stuff. But I would love to get at least one of these books done in time, but I don't know if I can. Yeah. We'll see. Because we'll I can't believe that it's almost July. So I've done the math. That doesn't yeah. Mean 
Yeah, I mean, even if you just have it done in time for Ape, he, Tom is going to be joining me at Rose City Comic Con in Portland and at the Alternative Press Expo in San Jose. San Jose. San Jose. That's People in like South Africa, right? That's right. People <laughs> like me call it San Joder, but that doesn't make any sense. I'm also going to be at the San Francisco Comic Con between those oh, two. Oh, yeah. Ones. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Or actually right before them or something. But, um, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I got I to gotta get in gear. Um, but I'm getting there. I'm ramping up. It's hard. And you've been, you're tired. You got kids and you're working. It's really hard to, <laughs> to, to get that focus. And, um, but I'm getting it back. Yeah. Getting it back. So, um, Speaking of focus, I think we should segue into our Robots Root segment. Yes. News, sweet, sweet news, Chris. I think that's what we should talk about. Yeah, do we think? don't have much news this week, but we do have we a have few a items. Okay. Why don't you tell me a news item? Item. Item. Uh, they've announced new Walk of Fame honorees at the Walk of Fame. came up all the things. <laughs> the robot-kraken.com <laughs> website is packed to the gills with interesting news, nerdy tidbits, as far as you could read. Okay, here's the interesting thing about this to me. Okay. How, first of all, apparently their criteria for getting a a star on the Walk of Fame is really lowered from what it used to be. Uh (laughs) They're, They're giving Walk of Fame stars to Amy Adams, Jason Bateman, Goldie Hawn, The Rock, Chris Pratt... Brett Ratner, Ryan huh? Reynolds, George Romero, Mark Ruffalo, and Rita Wilson. Hmm. Also, issues with some of those. Tyra Banks. Hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, Wolfgang Puck, Hugh Laurie, Hall and Oates, but apparently they don't get their own stars. It's <laughs> just one. <laughs> Imagine if they only gave one of them, though. What if they gave yeah, Oates just, a star? just Oates. <laughs> Daryl Hall's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Hello? Is um, it me? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did. You made a reference to the music. Um, he would just be out there sitting on it all the time. So right. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't think it was that interesting, but I thought we'd lead with it so that everything after would be a wonderland of interest. You make an interesting point, though, and that is that when the star system first happened, it was the heyday of Hollywood of the obsession with Hollywood culture. Right. It's America's royalty. This was America's West Coast royalty, rather. So right. it's not the, you know, the Kennedys and stuff. But this is like this is this was a time when. You know, every something like that, people, and I guess they still do to some degree. But mm-hmm. you know, everybody would get on a bus or whatever and take a vacation and go to Hollywood and go look at the the stars. And by standing on the star or getting your photograph next to it, it was like seeing the celebrity. Right. right? It was like a piece of them that was embedded in concrete and gold. Yeah. And so now, you know, w- between the fact that uh, the twenty four hour news cycle has made celebrities humans again, mm-hmm. and even fake humans. Um, and that combined with the fact that you can just go on the internet and see anything you want about anything, including uh, um, uh, Emma Stone in, in her charade <laughs> costume, um, you know, it, it makes it so that the the I think the star system is is such an um, anachronism, mm-hmm. and so the idea that they're just throwing them, they're like shotgunning them out at people, um, it almost almost sounds like sometimes it it sounds to me like maybe they're you know it's like. People are getting email. Their their uh, their agents are getting emails. Like, would you like a Walk of Fame star? 
yeah check for 99.95 right right yeah it's super odd i just i it, it seems to have lowered some of the cachet to a certain point and some of the names actually the thing i got most out of this article is i somehow hadn't realized that jerry goldsmith had died yeah the composer yeah, yeah. which I, think I did hear about that but now that you mention it i forgot yeah so anyway item life is uh life is fleeting chris i'm I was thinking about that because as I have done many times since hearing about it and ruining your con experience with the news, <laughs> I was thinking about Anton Yelchin again right. on my bike this morning. I don't know what it was. Maybe I was being too I was too close to a Jeep Cherokee, I think is the problem. <laughs> That's sad to say. But um I think um it's as we get older and you'll find this out once you get into your thirties there, buddy. Um <laughs> that uh y- it's something I've seen my parents – I've heard my parents mention even when I was younger, like, I don't know, maybe Plain Jeopardy or something. And I would hear them mention things to each other like, you know, oh, did so-and-so pass away? And, I, and I'm experiencing that now over these last several years we've seen it. But, uh, you know, entertainers that we grew up with, first of all, you're seeing them age the way you age and you realize their age relative to yours, right? right. And then also they're passing away. At varying rates, depending on their proclivities and accidents and whatever. Right. But, yeah. So we're slowly collecting a deck of deceased celebrities that we liked or were aware of cards, right? And right. it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger the longer we happen to live. And it's just a thing. It's just a dumb thing. Obviously, people die. People you know or you think you know, you imagine you know through entertainment. But it's just weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird to consider mortality, Chris. Yeah, it really and is. And I think – there's a no better segue about mortality than your next news item. <laughs> Are we talking about Agatha Christie movies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> the famous mystery author, Agatha Christie. Apparently, there's going to be two different biopic movies or fictionalized How biopics. How does it always happen that there's these competing it's so projects? Weird. Yeah. That's, that screenwriting uh, blog that I listened to has talked a few times about how there's that weird um, rule of pairs that these different projects that have been in development for years, mm-hmm. maybe it's been bounced around for years, but they somehow get greenlit and uh, go at the same time. And oftentimes they just merge. The one eats the other one. Right. And fold it in and it becomes one project. And sometimes they're competing all the way to the marketplace, as we've seen many times. Right. The, volca- the volcanoes of the world. But <laughs> right. What, how does it? How is it in the confluence of circumstances in the world today that we would come up with a pair of Agatha Christie projects. And it's really strange too, because when I've pictured Agatha Christie and as I often do, I've never pictured her looking like Emma Stone or Alicia Vikander, who are the two actresses up for the roles in the two different movies. (laughs) It's very strange to me. Like I always picture Agatha Christie looking a little more like, Angela Lansbury then. <laughs> well, that's because these are both targeting her younger years. Right. And I think a lot of these, I mean, hey, actually, I have seen Angela Lansbury imagery from when she was in her 20s. And, yeah, she looked like a million bucks. So, right. you know, I guess I can see that. But then again, Hollywood's always done that. Look at John Cusack as Edgar Allan Poe. True. And, <laughs> you know, these kinds of projects. So I guess that makes sense. But it is, it's um, conspicuous that they're both using... Um, Two of our know. favorites. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actresses that we enjoy their body of work. Yes. Bodies of work. Yes. Something. 
So two different projects, right? Yeah, yeah. One of them takes place uh, during 1926 when Christie went missing, and the other one, uh, the one with Vikander, is exploring her formative years as a proto-feminist unhappy with traditional expectations. Lesbian. That's what that means. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh, Emma Stone one sounds a little light-hearted compared to the other one, all things oh. considered. Question, though, if the Vikander one is all about, I don't know, lesbian lesbianism and smoking marijuana or whatever it is, mm-hmm. what is... What's this mystery, the 11 days of... The missing thing? Uh... Yeah, honestly, I have no idea what's going on with that. I I got the impression from something I'd read a long time ago that that was kind of a stunt that they'd done, where it was Mm. like, ooh, look how mysterious this mystery writer is. But she she had to go dry out somewhere, maybe. Right, or, yeah, something. And so I don't know if that's actually what it is. I haven't looked into Agatha Christie's biographical history recently so i'm not sure <laughs> recently but <laughs> i got the christie's wikipedia page recently yes. the last time i was there it does make me think it does sound like something out of the coen brothers latest film it does right yeah it would be kind so. of interesting all right well then uh <laughs> you're in charge so of this next news item because i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> I wrote down Spider-Man's garters, and you'd think it was just because I had recently discovered the Emma Stone photo that you put <laughs> at the bottom of the thing where she's wearing her play costume for charade. I don't know if anyone's seen the play charade. It's a musical. It's a musical. <laughs> about They had it coming. You know, come on. It's very popular, right? That's, that's not charade. Oh, you're right. That's not. <laughs> My wife, they all bleed, blend together in a playlist, so I lose track. Actually, that one's really dodgy. Charade actually has some... Some sketchy songs in it, though. I don't know. <laughs> See, I'll still, I'm willing to entertain it, though. If, yes. Just for the sake of art, right? See it. I'm a stone in it. Okay, so anyway, Spider-Man's <laughs> Gardeners. Here's what it is. It wasn't about that. It was about this. This just in moment. Uh, so some photos have surfaced this evening. Of this evening? Oh this very my. evening. A mere 33 minutes before we know, Siri, I'm not talking to you. Get off. Okay, Siri just made a... You just tell wow. your phone to get off? Yeah, my... <laughs> and Emma Stone appeared. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing. Siri just made an appointment for 33 minutes from now. That's awesome. <laughs> it's terrible. Because uh, later I'm going to be like, what was that? <laughs> what did I miss? We'll okay, still so be anyway... talking about this same news subject. So. <laughs> yeah, probably. So anyway, so here's the deal. Uh, so Tom Holland is photographed. Not No longer is it just people walking around backpacks as it was. Now this time he's in a spider suit. Yeah, with a backpack on. Okay. And he's on some big pipe and they're filming some scene. And here's what's weird about it, okay, Chris? I'll post this in tomorrow's robot-kraken.com sweet, sweet news roundup. But the the costume looks wackadoo, okay? It does okay. not look like the sweet Civil War costume. And really? I can't tell what the hell that's supposed to be. Here, I will send it to you this very minute so that you can see what I'm seeing this is a this is a pregnant pause while I do this. Um, well, because you know if if uh, if text Chris, sweet sweet Chris, there you go. All right, I texted to you. Check it out. So here's the thing: if he started with the homegrown hoodie, right, and then start gave him the super suit, and then he's out there doing his thing in Civil War, that would suggest that this comes after that. But this looks Torback compared to 
really? the Civil War costume. It has traditional eyes. It doesn't have the op- optics. Hmm, that's interesting. It's got, it's got actually like material. And now, granted, I think it could be because they're going to overlay onto this. Maybe that the CGI really weird. Be- yeah, the face in particular looks really odd there. Hmm. Do you think it's that's like all it, just... Blue? You know, I really do wonder if all of that is going to be covered in CG in post. But if that was the case, then why would they even bother with the visor... Why would they even bother with the eyes? Right. Why not just let him wear a, a mask or why not even not wear a mask? Yeah, that uh, like the I mask can't... in particular, the material it's made of, of looks like the like the hoodie I used to have when I was a little kid. The little like mask yeah. I pulled over my eyes. Yeah, that's crazy weird. It looks like a Halloween costume. Really and the does. reason I called it Spider-Man's Garters is look at all the weird stuff going on in the blue. The yeah. blue is like a really light blue, like a really medium tone blue. And there's all these like sectioning going on and including a motif on the legs that I've deliberately tried to avoid in many cost costume designs. And they're real. I mean, I've, I have a couple that have that just happen, but right. you know, it, it comes up like garters, right? It just looks really awkward. Yeah. That is really odd. I don't know. We've seen a lot of, there. we've seen a lot of set footage that then in the film was sorted out and it looked good. Right. But more often than not, if they're going to bother to make a costume and not just, you know ping pong balls everywhere right then then you know then it's gonna look like that to some degree yeah that's really odd do you see it now yeah so a little disheartening maybe it's nothing maybe it's something the other thing that's weird about it is he has teeny ankles and giant feet (laughs) maybe that's a spider-man thing it kind of makes sense it seems like a mike waringo's spider-man yeah it does i can't help but think that maybe Tom Holland just has big feet, but nonsense. It's, it's, it's crack costuming. <laughs> Don't overanalyze the internet, Tom. You'll That's only right. end in tears. I think I already have. <laughs> um, so uh, I have another news item. Uh, an item. Uh, Paramount Pictures issued a much maligned uh, document online that was the rules under which you can. Do Star Trek fan films and fan material without being sued into you oblivion? Mean the handcuffs that they applied to every Star Trek fan with a video camera. Okay, so here's the thing: you and most people reacted with outrage because they're saying you can't use uh, good quality costuming and you can't do anything more than one 15 minute or two or like you know whatever it is one or two. Right. In the lifetime uh, of the filmmaker, the yeah. filmmaker can make one 15-minute film or one two-part 15-minute each films. And you can't use sets, and you can't use sounds, and you can't call it Star Trek, and you just go your room or right. whatever. But the point is, the reason I thought it was interesting was this is the first time I can think of where a, a, a studio with a major franchise that has a fan base like this even made a made an effort to acknowledge that the fan stuff existed because they don't have to do that. Right. In all these other properties, people make their own costumes, they make their own fan films or whatever else. And, you know, sometimes they get taken down and sometimes they don't. And a Strictly lot of it... speaking. Yes. Um, however, um, star Wars has had a fan film award and contest since 2007. So Paramount are just a bunch of assholes. That's what we're saying. It was the first time I had heard of it. 
Well, I guess I was thinking, I mean, no, no, I was thinking about the fact that uh, Disney and Marvel and I don't know, a few others, I've seen, um, you know, support in conventions and all the other stuff. But again, though, this has been, you know, fan costumes is one thing. This is fan films. Did Lucasfilm actually support? Oh, yeah. Yeah. um, Actually, in 2002... Um, George Lucas selected the his award, plus they had seven other winners, um, and they announced them, screened them at the Star Wars event, and at the Star Wars Celebration event in Anaheim. I mean, they literally, like, like they supplied approved images, musics, and sound effects so they could use the actual Star Wars lightsaber sounds, all of that. I have a, I have a story about that. I have a story about that. However, let me just say, Paramount, what a bunch of... Paramount, what a bunch of chumps. Yeah. A bunch of chumps. There's nothing redeeming. Yeah, they're like, well, and they were totally supportive of Abraxas and, or not Abraxas, but a few of the other ones like Beyond that they were doing with like legit production value and really interesting storylines. And Paramount, then they had that one guy that did the huge Kickstarter that made like a million bucks. And they're like, oh, we got to shut this guy down. So fuck all of you guys. I have to wonder if what triggered this was the realization that the tools that people have at their disposal can lead to pro enough looking stuff Mm -hmm. to either really compete with their mark Mm -hmm. and or embarrass them. Well, and I think part of the problem too is right now Paramount and CBS are in are butting heads constantly over the television show and the movie and the, the Nola or the, J.J. Abrams versions versus the old guard stuff. Like, to the point that apparently when I go to Star Trek Las Vegas, there's a chance that people from both ends of it will be out on the floor, like, butting heads about which one gets higher priority and that kind of thing. So... Yeah, it's it's gotten ridiculous, and the behind-the-scenes stuff is hurting the fan base, which I'm not a huge Star Trek fan anyway. I really enjoy it, but I'm much more of a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Um, but this kind of thing is just, it's really upsetting to me because Star Trek has always had one of the most fervent, thorough, well-informed like, fan, fan base. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and I mean... When before cosplay was mainstream enough to be documented in major news outlets, and right. before Comic Cons were, you know, hundreds of thousands of people going to them, uh, you were, you know, the early early cosplay imagery was Star Wars and Star Trek people. Absolutely, on, right? yeah. Um, so the thing about Lucas, I was going to mention, was that you know he gets a bad rap for a lot of things, but um, I had a friend who worked legal at Lucasfilm, and she was in a department that was in charge of going through. Uh, use rights and requests for sound effects and ah. imagery and everything else. And and, ta- and they would have to go after people that were doing things illegally, but then also um, consider the requests for use for things. And so, um, so she was there at the time when the, that awesome film fanboys was made. Oh yeah. And they actually went and, you know, made the request to get all the effects and all that stuff. And, and, it was greenlit, and then they in turn actually went and and showed the film at Lucasfilm. Yeah, and I and I got to go. Oh, right I got on. To sit there with all of these Lucasfilm and ILM people watching a film about fanboys trying to go bust into that's to, awesome uh, to the ranch, 
And so, of course, you know, what a specific user group in the, in the <laughs> very specific demographic in the, in the audience. But they loved it. And it was interesting to hear that they, they're not as clenched. You'd think that they were really, you know, clamped down on all those marks. But they were actually very cool about it, apparently, if, you, if they liked the project and you asked. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. So, anyway, so I have one more news item, and it segues directly into what we're going to talk about today, Chris. And that is... The rumor that seems to be substantiated that the produce, producers of Game of Thrones hmm. are making short seasons for these next two seasons. That's what it sounds like. Pissing me off to no end. I told a friend and she cried. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like we've got maybe 14 episodes left. Yeah. They say 13 to 15 episodes across two seasons. And there was all this rigmarole about the rationale for it, and it doesn't smell right to me, man. Because I don't imagine that Weiss and Benioff are out of ideas, mm-hmm. and I don't imagine that HBO doesn't want to pay for it. Because they have nothing left. They don't have any... Well, like, the mention- thing they're not mentioning there is that they've already gotten permission from HBO to do a prequel series. Sure, but okay, I, yeah, I heard about this ideas about spinoffs and things, mm-hmm. but here's the thing I don't understand though. HBO at the time when Game of Thrones was launched, it was kind of a risk, but they also had a lot of other headline shows that were bringing them a lot of attention. Right well, now, Netflix has taken that storm, right? Mm-hmm. And so, winter is coming for HBO, right? <laughs> Vinyl failed, and you know a lot of criticisms about uh, True Detective season two, which I still enjoyed, but. Right. Uh, and now they have hopes for Westworld, and they have uh, in the on the night of, which is about to start. But yeah, that looks you know, interesting. The, yeah, but the bottom line is, it's not like they have a bunch of other stuff in the pipeline um, to that. Well, you know, take it or leave it on more Game of Thrones. You'd think that they would hold on to. You'd think it would be a scenario where they're holding on to Game of Thrones as much as long as they possibly could, begging and throwing money at them to make make more episodes because right. it's, it's what they're known for now. Yeah. And so the fact that they're saying, well, we need, you know, well, 14, this is what we envisioned was, you know, 75 episodes. Okay, that that's fine, except you spent X number of seasons trying to get through the books. Right. Now you've gotten, now you have one to three seasons, really one to two when you think mm-hmm. about the shortened, um, going forward from the books and doing what you want to do uh, with George R. R. Martin's uh, blessing. And we're barely getting to the invasion of Westeros from two sides. Right. How can you possibly resolve the the? The, the only thing I can really think of for it is because it is strange to think that that Martin still has two books, and while they've covered some of the next book in this series, obviously in this season, um, the only thing I can think of is that maybe it's one of those things where HBO was like. We can give you more money, but we can only give you so much more money. And they're like, dude, the stuff that's got to happen needs so much money that we can only afford seven episodes. I mean, it's possible. I still and and it could be a bargaining thing. Mm-hmm. I just because you know they they've been a little wishy washy every time they were renewing it. You didn't right, know it was coming back. So who knows? I don't know. It's just at this point, it just seems like the fever pitch. It's hard to imagine that they they end on the two of the most memorable. Game of Thrones episodes in the history of the show, yeah. including Ned Stark, including the Red Wedding, and they they fire off this finale and then say, "Well, 
you know, maybe a couple of shortened seasons. It's the shortened seasons kind of thing is what you hear when a show is kind of languishing. And right. they talked about they had, you know, seasons worth of stuff to do. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, actually shortened seasons. Although if you, right? if you look at the pacing on this last season versus all of the seasons that were based directly off of books – it's been the m- very pacing's filthy. been much faster in this. But that's year. what I'm saying. If you look at, and I appreciate the fact that a lot of conventional broadcast TV storytelling narratives in series work has never been. It's it's the modern era where they actually mapped it out enough, and even right. then, barely, barely mapped it out. Um, for the most part, it was you know wing it every season, mm-hmm. like Lost, right? But it, this is a scenario where the entire structure of the show is around an impending, ominous world-dominating extinction-level event that's going to happen. Right. And you're finally getting to where it's coming to a head, and then they say, oh, two short seasons. Like, I can't imagine how you could get enough, how you would have enough time to talk about the Westeros invasion and the the White Walkers coming down and all mm-hmm. the stuff that needs to happen. And I can certainly imagine them doing a thing where it's like, oh, you know, and we're, I mean, we're talking ahead into what we're going to review, but the bottom line is I can see them saying, okay, uh, Targaryen reclaiming of the throne, or possibly the three riders, or whatever it is, the three dragons, and and then you resolve that in the first six episodes, and then you now have a full season and change of White Walker stuff, right. and maybe, maybe, but it just seems like we've reached a point where they have so many options mm-hmm. about where they could go, and so many storylines to focus on. Um, it's gotten so exciting right at a time when they're talking about starting to cut it short a little bit. <laughs> maybe I'm just whining. I don't know. It's funny though. It's it's one of those things where, if they'd announced that about Lost, at a certain point during the show, we would have been like, "Awesome! They they can tell the story they want to tell in the amount of episodes they want to yeah, tell." Yeah, yeah. And and now it's like something that where they're actually doing that, and we're like, "Ah, give us more! We need yeah. more episodes! Don't you fucking dare do this to us!" Well, a lot of early <laughs> criticisms, a lot of the comments of this season. Early on, we're like, well, they're going too fast and they're right. giving us all the things we want. It's all fan service. Maybe we didn't really want that. Well, you know, you can't have it both ways, I guess. Right. All right. Well, do we dive right in or do we do our planned plundering first? Get it out of the way. What do we have on planned plundering? We got some planned plundering to talk about. Let's do that really quick and then we'll do our review because. Sounds good. We could review until we're upside down, like I told you. I mean, look, I'm a third of the way through my. <laughs> yeah, I need to go get something to drink, actually. More drinking. All right. So let's take a quick break while you go get some consumables and then we'll resume. Yes, that sounds excellent. Right. If I can get out past all of my animals that I'm surrounded by. And ghosts. Yes, ghosts and animals. It's a real shit fest here. I'll be right back. Avast me, hearties. It's me, Chris. If you enjoy Robot Kraken and all of our standard nerd madness, you might also enjoy the other podcast I appear on, Deeply Dapper Dispatches. With a more concentrated focus on horror, this podcast explores old and new horror movies, news, video games, and more. You can find it and stream and download Robot Kraken itself at DeeplyDapper.com or search for Deeply Dapper on iTunes. I forgot to talk like a pirate. Yar. Now back to the show. I'm back, baby. You're back. All right. So let me get out of my iron fist. Hold on. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. 
Well, that sounds like some sort of really weird sex toy. Yeah. It's medieval based. Have we talked about Emma Stone tonight? I think we have. We yes. have. Planned plundering. Let's quickly talk about what we're planning to plunder. And I don't mean the aforementioned theatrical re-release of charade <laughs> you know i don't know that that's actually coming out in theaters i think no i it's i think it's just for it i think it's a theatrical. broadway thing yeah i think it's a broadway thing but then again we can dream so uh last week i said that i was um uh going to read a bunch of comics and also see the movie legend mm-hmm. and i and i saw legend i saw it last so what, two nights ago ah and uh three nights ago and uh it was great did you see it no did you get list? that on disc? I, I did. Yeah, because I thought it was on Netflix, and I got all excited, and then it wasn't. And no, so no, I, I watched got... Ted Two, and then I was disappointed. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> it was physical. That's weird. Um, oh, I see what you mean. Like, is it streaming? Yeah. Versus, yeah, no, I had to. I had to have the discs sent to me. I don't but... get the discs. Oh, you're okay. You're one of those guys. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's like extra three it. bucks a month or something like that. Uh, it's outrageous. I know. It's. Okay. I already have so... Hulu. HBO, Netflix, and like 3,000 DVDs and Blu-rays at my house. <laughs> and Amazon Prime. <laughs> I understand. But I'm just saying, Legend was really – it was an interesting movie. We should talk about it at some point. Anyway, uh, and I have read uh, a bunch of comics on my iPad on my Marvel um, Unlimited subscription. And I'm, I'm now in April 2014. Ooh. So I'm <laughs> – I'm nearing completion on the rereading of things that I read hit or miss <laughs> in the pre-Marvel Unlimited. So when you say you're things. reading it, what what all are you reading? So I'm going through everything because oh, really? it's, it's an unlimited subscription. So what I do is I sort by month and I see everything that they release in chronological order. And then I just kind of pick through the ones that I'm willing to read and what. So I don't read. Interesting. So I don't read the Ultimates stuff. I mean, I actually really enjoyed a lot of the early Ultimates work, but now it's just, you know, I can't. It's too much continuity that I haven't yeah. done. So I skip that, and then I skip projects where I really don't like the artist or I really don't like the writer or projects that are like one-shots or or sort of weird, you know, just weird things that I don't have time for. There's a lot of stuff, uh, tie-ins to things that I'll blow through. But, you know, the, the Avengers stuff and the X-Men mm-hmm. stuff, Daredevil, and I have to say, I mean, there are some there are some titles I've been debating whether or not I wanted to mention how much I love them because I'm two years behind. <laughs> right. Whether it's relevant, but I mean, some of the best comics in my life, or the most enjoyable pieces of art, comic reading in my life, have been in some of these these projects hmm. where they've got these really interesting creators doing mainstream stuff. For example, the Daredevil run. At, mm. at it at during this time frame is fantastic i'm blanking on the i'm blanking on the uh the artist but it's in the post is this the code. believe stuff or no this is the uh we'll follow it up I, what i want to do later is we'll talk about some 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 recommendations from um sort of recent history mm-hmm. marvel unusual artists doing interesting artists and writer combinations doing interesting interesting comics that are not Sort of the traditional fare. Maybe so, we'll do that as a later episode. So tell me more about this Marvel Unlimited thing. How does it work exactly? Okay, so Marvel Unlimited is a subscription-based um, club. Uh, you get an app on your portable devices, and you can stream or download anything that's in the Marvel Unlimited catalog. So 
they have more digital content than is in Marvel Unlimited. So there's certain stuff like certain trades and and and, and then very very current stuff will have a price associated with it. But if you filter by Marvel Unlimited subscription, you'll see only the books that are available. Oh, okay. It's all you. It's an all you can eat program, right? It's what I used to beg to, when when peer to peer sharing of comics was really starting to happen and I was starting to make my transition to digital and I was saying, you know, I would pay for this if I could. Right. But I can't. So, and I don't want the physical media. So, all right, there you go. So this is what I wanted was just a la carte subscription based comics. Right. And, and I know coming from being a lifetime comic collector of, of the stuff, it's a big transition to want, wanting to just, you know, I've been resistant to streaming content my whole life. Right. My whole modern life anyway. But I'll tell you, here's where exactly what I want it, right? And so, so you pay about 99 bucks a year. Okay. okay? Which is pretty reasonable. Very reasonable if yeah. you think about what it, comics are like five bucks a head now. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what I love about it, especially, is it reminds me of the fun of being in a comic store. There was a time when I was still collecting physical comics, but I was an adult with income that I would go into the comic store and I could get whatever I wanted. Right. Which as a kid, you dreamed about. And then now, and then as an adult, and even now, you know, if you, you if you collect uh, maquettes or, mm-hmm. or, you know, adult oriented, not adult industry, but, you know, just sort of adult collector oriented merchandise for fandom stuff, you, right. know, you still have a budget concern because everything's really expensive. And you're like, well, I really like that statue or I like this print or whatever. But when it comes to going into a comic store, that was always the dream. Right. right. Yeah. Just going and grabbing whatever. And there was a good two or three or four years working downtown i had a comic store nearby and i could go and i had a big sub file but then i could also just walk along and just go oh, that looks good that looks good that looks good and i would come home with that stack right and I just read it, right and so that's what this app reminds me of is the joy of the freedom of choice without having to worry about the budget because right you just on. read whatever you want to read and so you know some of the books i'm reading just to keep up on the major on the major storylines to understand what what comprises continuity today, which is right. Um, and uh, and and I say that specifically because I spent a lot of time a few years ago lambasting DC for the New Fifty Two reboot that was such a travesty. But <laughs> Marvel did the Marvel Now, which was a semi reboot mm-hmm. of some books, but not other books, with no explanation for it. And you know, it's just. It's even more of a mess than Ultimates turned out to be. So I don't think anybody has it figured out anymore. And I think everybody who thinks this is anything more than remaining an industry that it's about telling stories to a three-year window of kids Mm -hmm. and then it recycles and starts over. You know, we have a larger base of, of readers now. But the bottom line is you cannot maintain complex serialized storytelling across this many stories for decades. No. Without without it getting stale. And so I don't really care. I don't care. That right. they, re- they do things different. And I, my creative teams change and something cool. Well, that's ends. been you know something since the, the dawn of yeah. comics really. Yeah. I'm just, I no longer find it so precious. Like yeah. I don't even, now I'm like, whatever, I'll just keep reading. And so, um, but I have less tolerance since I don't have time. I have less tolerance for the books that are not grabbing me either by art or by story. Right. So I just blow right through those. Nope. nope. You know, <laughs> skip to the end see what they landed on and then move on to the next right one. Right on. I managed to be able to, uh, on nights that I read in bed or whatever, I managed to get through four or five or six issues of something before. I, and so previously I was reading like whole, I would download maybe a certain title and try to read as much of it in sequence as I could, which was mm-hmm. fun and all. 
But now what I'm doing is reading on a monthly basis, like as if I have the books in a sub file every month. And so nice. I'm, I'm rereading some stuff that I read before, but mostly getting an overall picture of what Marvel was doing as they moved across. That's pretty awesome. So at the time in my, my reading right now, the the Phoenix Five thing has happened. Mm-hmm. There's the fallout from that. And then there's this big thing with the Avengers dealing with this multi-dimensional planet crushing thing happening. And then, <laughs> uh, and then the FF went off into time space to solve. Is that the stuff uh, Alan Davis was drawing? Uh, no, oh. but uh, Mark Bagley, actually, which is mm. you know, he's not my favorite artist, but he's doing, he's doing a good job. But the, the main FF group have gone off into space to adventure with the kids as a teaching thing, but it's really him trying to figure out why his cells aren't, I don't know, whatever. He's got a, a fatal disease, wants to figure out why. Typical Fantastic Four cosmic stuff. Sure, and then the, and then the, the, the conceit is that they picked placeholders for the FF on Earth, which was a callback to all the times in continuity where the FF had, like, substitute people. Like, the mechanism is you have to have people. Right. You have to have four, you need you have all have four. Oh, yeah, so Spider-Man, show up. You know, <laughs> so it was sort of that thing, but it was in a very whimsical way, and it's it's Mike Alred doing the art. Oh, and nice. It's, it's a lot like how Ecstatics and X-Force was for a while nice. when he was doing the writing really matches. So that's one I would recommend when we when we talk more about this later. But um, they're supposed to be gone for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Time space thing being it is you, you know. So you guys will just be here for three minutes, and then we'll be back, <laughs> and then they don't come back, right? Uh, okay. And so the so you have the two titles because remember before this there was, you know, in two thousand up till about two thousand thirteen there was a Fantastic Four title, and then mm-hmm. there was also an FF title, which right. actually the Future Foundation, which I really really loved. Hmm. Future Foundation, and now you got the Fantastic Four title, and then you have FF, and it's this group of substitute Fantastic Four people okay. just screwing up royally. And that's, <laughs> it, it's been really fun. Anyway, that's what I'm doing, and so it's a hundred bucks a hundred bucks a year, and it goes across all your devices. And on the iPad, it's particularly glorious because it's just you know perfect aspect right. ratio, glows like the sun. And then also, and I've showed you this before, I think every year they send you a promo package of stuff oh like, yeah free, yeah free comics and things and i've gotten like the first year i got a rocket raccoon figure and then this last year they gave me from the marvel from the oh, i don't remember what the line is it's a really weird toy line but um marvel legends oh so kind of right on. um it's a rescue pepper pot's rescue uh-huh. figure. <laughs> oh really limited edition just showed huh. up in the box on top of the comic reading that i already am paying for so right on cool. I, I highly recommend it comiXology has finally opened up an, on an all-you-can-eat um i looked into that a little bit too but it's it the the titles they had available and the limited availability of what they had available just didn't thrill me it was like yeah. oh look here's one trade paperback of hellboy it's like well, that's oh the goody that's the thing when marvel flirted with this briefly mm-hmm. early on and they had nothing available and it right. was like a sampler. And I was like, I have no, I have no patience for samplers to right. on my face. And then when they just opened it up to everything that's not eight months old, eight, eight months old or older, and it's on there pretty much. That's right? pretty kick-ass. And so that's what I wanted. Yeah. And I want, to, I want the library. I want Sam Whale's library, right, as I was just teasing your, your wife on her Instagram. <laughs> no, that's like, I, <laughs> I get the heart on being in the giant library. Right. right. And, so, and Comixology is doing exactly the opposite, and it's the wrong way of doing it, which is they have select titles. Yeah, that's not the way to do it at all. When they announced it, the first thing I did, and I wrote about this on the site too, on robot-kraken.com, 
uh, I went straight to Comixology to sign up because I thought, finally, I can get into the Mignola catalog that I that right. I missed on because I stopped buying. All the and then I find, stuff and everything. Yeah. And then I find that almost, the majority of it's not on there. Right. Yeah, and I free, would happily pay like 20 bucks a month. I'd pay yeah. twice as much if it meant I could actually fucking read anything I want to read. I know. Well, you know, as usual, they miss the market. They don't understand what they're doing. Damn so fools. That's, so what I have coming up is uh, for, for this coming week is more comic reading. And also I'm trying to figure out when Batman v Superman Supreme Super Violent Edition comes out. And right. I want to hold of it and watch it. That sounds really fun. I might have to do like give myself that for Christmas or something. Get the, the Marvel Ultimate Collector's Dive <laughs> I think it's I think it's a good investment, man, because yeah. uh, it you know it, it my problem is not having time to read, right? But especially if I had more time, and certainly when I do have time, it's great that I have that much choice. Yeah, it's cool. You can just bust out a dozen comics on a day off, kind of thing. That's pretty exactly. ass. So, what do you have going? What do you have planned? Uh, what did I write down? Because I genuinely can't remember. Oh, yeah, my Kickstarter that I have coming up in five weeks. We're doing. So you a, have to- you have to commit in advance to when you're going to do that? Well, no, but we timed it specifically so that it starts while I'm at Star Trek and it runs through the end of Rose City. Okay. So that I'm promoting it while we're at Star Trek and Star uh, Salt Lake Comic Con in Rose City so that I can literally tell people, hey, go pledge this now. You don't have to say, oh, here, I'll send you an email and remind you about it in a month kind of thing. We need that that active promotion right. and everything. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that project, even though you'll be telling us a lot more later. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be babbling about it. Uh, essentially, we're doing a series of soaps, which we've been selling since 2002. No, wow. 2012. Yeah. Something still. like that. Anyway, five years-ish. A lot of soap. A um, lot of soap. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds of soap. Um, I sell them at cons, I sell them online, and we decided we wanted to expand into melters because the way we sell our soap comes in these packages that people are always like, oh, I thought it was a deck of cards, or oh, I thought those were those wax melter scentsy things. And we're like, we want to do the scent ones, but I could never find a formulation of wax that held the fragrance and threw the fragrance the way it needed to, and I finally found that. Wait, so melter, is that a fancy industry term for a candle? Uh, no. Uh, do you know what a scentsy is? No. Okay, well, a scentsy oh, is so like a about... wickless candle. It's like a little cube of okay. scented wax you put in a little tube or in a little bowl, and there's a light underneath it that melts it in a nice, slow, okay. safe fashion. Sure. They're really cool because there's no fire. Um, the wax is rarely warm enough that you have to worry about burning yourself if you touch it. Um, and it's huh. super convenient in terms of you just being able to turn it on, throw a cube in, call it good. Kind of like the essential oils thing. Yeah, but, yeah, but, it's but a lower yeah. temperature. Yeah, huh, interesting. So that's okay. um, that's our next project, and we're doing a Kickstarter for it just because we have most of the stuff we need, but we need a few new like pieces of equipment, some pots, some measuring equipment that we use differently, and we have to buy like new packages and that kind of thing. Um, and so we've decided to do a Kickstarter with a new series of scents and mm-hmm. have them all be environmental um, for gameplay, watching movies, that kind of thing. Sure. So it should be pretty fun. I'll go into it a little more in depth once the the program's actually up and running. But by the time this posts, I will have about four weeks to 
do a video, design packaging, design promo art. It's just a huge thing. So that's really all I'm focusing on for the next month. Wow. That'll be cool. So, I mean, that's actually what I like about it is I've I've not heard of that as a thing that's readily available. Maybe it is. Mm -hmm. But I can imagine there are people walking around that are going to say, wow, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few nerdy candles that you can find. But from a uh, melter standpoint, there's not really any. And one thing that we really focus on is our fragrances. And yes, you do. being as accurate as we can. And so we really want to drive that experience home for people. Well, and since you don't shower normally, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I could just rub that wax cube or just hold it under my armpits. It should be really efficient, actually. A pinch between the cheek and gum. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hey, uh, before we dive right into our sweet, sweet review, I have a question. Have you done any Runaways fantasy casting as per your homework from like two months ago? Well, I'm, I'm really starting to zero in on who I'd like to cast as Joan Jett. But... Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you did it to me again. I'm Runaways. Just, I'm just crazy about my bad reputation. Yes, you are. No, I, I, so... I have a post-it note here somewhere. What did I have written down on it? I don't know, because it was blurry and you had yeah, the Yeah, I know, that was intentional. It was a tease, man. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I have Runaways Casting, Fat Girl, Dino, Goth Girl, Other Guy, Guy, Rainbow Sparkle, and Ankle Biter is who I'm casting. Is Ankle Biter the, the, the uh, Velociraptor? No, that's just the young girl. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you need to give a code name for the Velociraptor? I, so far, ankles. all I have cast is for Ankle Biter, I have Warwick Davis written down. But I may not be sold on that one. I'm still thinking. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're talking about the girl on the, the young girl on the team? Yeah. Molly Hayes? Yeah. Warwick Davis? Why not? He's short. Wow. You're Casting teenagers is You're hard, man. Hey, man. All right, I'm going to tell you mine. You come up with you come up with one, and I will tell you mine. Okay, so I chose for Molly Hayes, Iris Apatow. Do you know who that is? I'm assuming it's Judd's daughter. Yeah. Have you seen any of those? Like, like uh, this is forty. No. You, you, you haven't seen. <sighs> you didn't see this is forty with Paul Rudd. No. Son of a bitch. I saw the forty year old virgin. Oh, okay, that's a thing. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's one of his two daughters, and so that he has with um, with Leslie Mann. Oh, so yeah. They have Leslie Mann's curly hair and and that really expressive face, but they have something about him too. So it's it's one of his daughters, and I think she'd be perfect for Molly Hayes. Right on. You're so rich. Well, anyway, I like Paul once, Rudd. Yeah, in 2018, when we have this casting complete, we'll actually post photos on the on the uh, on the website. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. So, all right. <laughs> All right, now that you've thoroughly wasted our time, do you want to do the uh, do you want to do the big mother load of the episode, the Game of Thrones? Yeah, let's let's discussion? do a review. Crack this is reviews. what some people came for. Other people came for this because they like this nonsense, nonsense. But other people are like, <laughs> bring on the Game of Thrones, You're which is so why cool. we've started putting the timestamps at robot-kraken.com. I, I love it so much. <laughs> I love that you. Maybe you were just having a moment with your drink, but <laughs> it's like collabos and bros. You're like. We, enough of this nonce. <laughs> Save all that time on that extra syllable. All right. Game of Thrones. There Game was an episode Thrones. recently that we saw that was pretty spectacular, and that yeah. is the finale. Of season wow. seven? 
Six. Six. Bro. Sixty season. How satisfying was that episode? It was a ten out of eight. A ten out of eight. And <laughs> and think about this. Any other series, practically, I mean, they, they've got a tradition over several seasons that they have the money episode. Mm-hmm. The second to last episode is the big dramatic one. But that concept that you would have Denouement as your finale is a yeah. huge. Thing. I mean, I love it, and yet it wasn't like a well that wraps up what happened in the last big episode and here's what's going to happen next season like kind of like right. after some of the other ones like hard home and mm-hmm. and and some of those you know there wasn't you know the finale episode wasn't as dramatic but man this one was like fan service city insane yeah yeah i um how do you want to talk about this do you want to talk about it in terms of town sure okay so you have it in timeline, so we can just do it that way. Well, I do sort of. Yeah, we we. Do you just want to do it in the way it took place in the episode? I think in this case it, it might be worth it because compositionally, that was one of the strengths of the show. It was really strong was. the way it moved between locations. I thought that was really cool. And just like the second to last episode we talked about last time, which was so amazing that they managed to do the dis, the decimation of the slavers' fleet. Or the Master's Fleet or whatever, and that was the first seven minutes of the episode. And right. Then, then we got to the main stuff. Um, this is another example of where they hit the ground running with something spectacular. Yeah. And then there was did. more. <laughs> yeah. Like an insane amount more. So yeah, we um so we open first off, um I have notes. I actually wrote notes down as I mentioned earlier. Um Direwolf back on Winterfell as we go through the opening sequence. Yes. Yes, Which that's right. Excellent. An unfurl, and then they introduce the, and they they introduce this new music really early. Yeah, this really dramatic scoring for this episode, right? Yeah, this the music was probably my red tentacle for this episode. Okay, it's just so unique and unusual, and really low key. But they the way they they mixed the piano and the violins and the it was oh, yeah. just really strong, and and very strong scoring in shows like this it's a it's it always stays with me i mean mm-hmm. i i still listen to the Battlestar galactica soundtrack right. on a regular basis as well as movie soundtracks that i like they take on a life of their own and it kind of evokes what you liked about the show but kind of takes it to a different place i absolutely right. love that so i i love a lot of the music they've had on the show but the the stringing of this of this theme mm-hmm. through the whole episode was really powerful that they did that yeah I have a clarification from a couple episodes ago where I was asking about this, and I think you may have started to tell me, but I did look it up, and I understand now the logic behind the naming convention for Bastards. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe other people don't know. Maybe they do. But I thought I would say it really quick because it it makes a lot of sense now to me in a way I didn't realize this was happening, and now that I read it, I totally Oh, you mean the way their last name is given to them based off of where they're at? Exactly. So. If you're a bastard in the north, you're a snow. Mm-hmm. If you're a bastard in Dorne, you're a sand. Yes. So like everybody, a sand, and yeah. yeah, and all of those characters were, were bastards, and yet that was uh, the one exception where this was not a negative, right? Right. Because in, in the Dorne society, it's polygamous, it's and they don't standard. care. Standard, right? Yeah. Pike for the Iron Islands. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that actually a little while ago. Flowers for the Reach. Stone for the Vale of Ern. 
Storm for the Stormlands, Waters for the Crownlands, and Hill for the Westerlands. Mm. And this only applies to acknowledged descendants, though, as though though as there are many out there either in the dark of their parentage or completely shunned. Right. Okay. Okay. So that was that. I just, you know, it, it put things in perspective because remember, I think one of the first times you and I talked about Game of Thrones, I was wrapping my heads around head around how we had a Jon Snow and a Ramsay Snow, but they weren't related. I didn't oh, right. That aiming. Yeah. So anyway. So King's Landing. King's Landing. We open oh, with shit. everybody prepping for the big showdown with the gods on their trials. And this was, I mean, they broadcasted that this was going to be a dragon fire scene or that a dragon fire solution yes. for season. So they broadcasted all the way back to season two, right? But, yeah. And, and of course they talked about it in the books, right? Did they not? Because I know people... Um, They certainly discuss the okay. existence of it, but this scene is definitely something that has not happened in the books yet. I mean, we... We kind of figured that this was the direction it was going to go, right. but I did not imagine that it was going to be this level of, you know, terrorist attack imagery. Right. That it was going to be a contained attack, as not, you know, I thought it was going to be like the do the whole, you know, blow the hell out of the whole city. Right. It was a contained terrorist type attack, and it's yeah. very evocative of things happening in the world. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And and what was so beautiful about this and so many other scenes in this in this uh, episode was that in previous episodes, people died that either they were surprised, mm-hmm. stabbed in the face, didn't know it was going to happen or whatever. Or they were protagonists who got to become aware of their folly before they died, like the Red Wedding, which is right. tragic. They know right. it's happening. They're in despair, seeing each other's, seeing their loved ones die, knowing they can't do anything when they die. This is an example of where, for once, the fan service worked for us. Right. Where people that are antagonists or, you know, antagonists plus others mm-hmm. have a moment of realization before it happens. Yeah. And that, it's so satisfying compared to the the random decapitation or whatever. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Go. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, the the way they built the tension in that scene for something that everybody seemed to know was coming mm-hmm. as fans, it still managed to be incredibly tense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The I love- not knowing who was going to get out or if anyone was going to get out or how big the explosion was going to be. I, I think that, and the, the simple way it opened with them getting dressed, I thought was really interesting where Cersei did not have any gold on her outfit at all. It was a very stern, strict silver and black outfit. She's a member of the Rhythm Nation. I had no idea. Right, right. And I mean, and the High Sparrow broke out his fancy burlap. <laughs> but but thinking about how it unfolded, I thought later how much this evoked movies and shows, including a recent X Files, where they show right. the terrorists methodically preparing and getting dressed and getting ready and right. starting their day before going out to do their suicide bombing, mm-hmm. right? It had that same sort of um, – it was very meth- methodical and I love that about it. Yeah. Um, also, I loved that as the noose tightens and Marjorie is figuring it out. Yes. And it's going, you got to, we got to get out of here. We got to, you know, no one's, he's, she, you know, she's not showing and all. Well, frankly, first of all, uh, Loris, 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 yeah. Loris, the fact that he was programmed into accepting the faith, a role in the faith militant and her feeling betrayed that she had done all this. Right. I, 
I was really starting to realize now that, you know, we have been been strung along for a few episodes wondering, is she playing along? Is she really just doing a temporary thing in order mm-hmm. to get out of there? You know, how much is she complicit? How much, you know, is there any Kool-Aid here? Right. And you're really, you, it's very clear that she is, she has made a sort of loose alliance with the, the, the sparrows. Yeah. Yeah. It's so more that, than just her, like, assuming the things are going to go her way. It, it becomes pretty clear in this scene that she had explicit conversations with the high sparrow about what was going to happen in this situation. And, 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 and that this was her, especially when she was comfortable enough to send her grandmother away, mm-hmm. this was her move right. against Cersei. Right. Like I didn't really until now think about it really that her behavior having been in prison just like Cersei, that she had turned because she took a different approach in how she dealt with the sparrows, mm-hmm. that she was actually seeing this as an opportunity when they turned the king. Right. That this was an opportunity to her for her to solidify her hold on the king using the faith yes. as the binder and for and then shut Cersei out. Right. Get rid of Cersei basically. And that's it. Right. Yeah. Now now uh the Tyrells and the I guess still they claim the Targaryens or not I mean uh, Baratheons right Baratheons yeah Tom Tom, Tom and Baratheon you know so now that's you know Lannisters are out and so now the alliance is complete right so she I, I never really thought about it until that moment that that was her game plan I thought that she was still just trying to get the hell out of prison right but the idea that they would lock like hold everybody in that triangle shirt fire imagery yeah. of them like locking the doors like you are not leaving this is what we're gonna do everything about that scene. It the was little so kid, tense. yeah. Do you think the little kid lured him down that hall, that corridor to stab him, or do you think he saw him? Because it was kind of hard to tell. I think he, he lured him. him. I think it was all totally a planned thing where he like stood there and was like, "Oh, look at me being shifty. Oh, I'm running just far enough ahead that you can't catch me," kind of thing. Well, because if it is, that's how I read it too. It felt mm-hmm. like it felt very much like a like a trap. Kind of mm-hmm. like I, it felt like how I thought Arya was was baiting the waif, right? Following her to where. Um, What's it called? This needle. Needle mm-hmm. was buried. Needle. Um, but at the same time, that is a, a, a weird artifice for the story because right. that means, because we want him to go down there and get killed because he's the he's the traitor. It's just that weird thing about the Lannister storyline mm-hmm. that they're antiheroes. They're son of a bitches, and we hate them all. But at the same time, we root for them in a way. Right. 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 So you know, him turning on. Cersei Mm -hmm. and being a part of the faith militant and being such a son of a bitch. Yeah. I see him as more of an enemy. Like I I think he's a, he's a more despicable. Right. As a viewer, which is funny because really, if you think about it, she totally used him and lied about them being in love and all of this, just because she wanted to have sex with Jamie and Loras was, or not Loras, but the Lancel was convenient. Right. And I think, I mean, they really, I think they pulled him down there exclusively just for an excuse to show the mechanism for the explosion of the dragon fire. Yeah. I, certainly it was a narrative thing. It was, yeah. It was a POV so you could see it happening and, and also to give us one more sweet taste of revenge that yeah. he's getting closer and closer. And it almost seemed like it was his breath that pushed the flame yeah, into it was the dragon fire. Yeah. But it was, it was really close and it was just. And I, just the, using the little birds the way mm-hmm. they did was fantastic. Yeah, I really like that. 
using them on the uh, on the maester was was awesome and horrible. Yeah. And then this one stabbing him, I just I don't know. Yeah, I loved the, the use of that. I liked the way the mountain showed up and kept Tommen from going. That was the, the thing. That's my, red, that's my red tentacle right there. It was so good. I thought that was an extremely understated but super powerful moment. Mm-hmm. And it was completely a, unlike anything he, you know, King Tommen was expecting. Yeah. yeah was it him to just kind of... Yeah, and he's also, just like, I'm ready now, and he turns around, and it's the mountain standing there, and just and think so about that. good. But think about that. She sent the ma- she sent the mountain, her bodyguard mm. and enforcer, to his room to keep him there so he would not be there when it right. blew up. At great risk to her, because if her plan didn't work, mm-hmm. or if some of the Faith Milton got away before this happened, they were coming for her, she wouldn't have her protection. Right. So she gambled everything on her plan working mm-hmm. and keeping him out. She didn't even come with the mountain. Right. She, it was, and, and maybe that was another artifice of storytelling, but you know, I think that was, was a armor. mistake on her part because well, clearly if she had been there, the other thing wouldn't have happened with him. That's right. That's right. But I mean, to me, the subtlety, every time they use the mountain in a nonviolent way, I love it. Yeah. I love the physical impact. Uh, imposing nature of him. Yeah. I love when he does a thing like he looks. <laughs> right. Without necessarily taking a spine out. Those are the things I love the most. And so this one, where he did that and blocked the king, right. was, to me, it was just that, that moment in the episode where I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and the fact that they showed so much of this from the windows of the Red Keep. I really and from that. The, and from the king's windows or whatever his his area is called. I don't know. Yeah. But, um that was a really interesting, again, that goes towards this whole terrorism uh, cipher, right, or analog here. Because that's the imagery that we have in the modern era of experiencing terrorist attacks in urban centers is right. it happened, and then everybody looks up and sees the, the smoke plume and goes, holy crap. Right, what just, you're what either happened? right there in the shit or you're watching it from a distance with this, like – sense of like unease and confusion and terror and there's a very specific scale thing that happens when you go from and we saw this with the 9-11 footage when you go from the imagery right at the scene which is this horrible you know massive cloverfield obviously is direct reference to this but that scale of just the magnitude of a building coming down like that Mm -hmm. and then you see all the camera handicam footage from some distance and you see the towers in the distance go down and then you see all the helicopter footage of Manhattan with the plumes going up smoke. with all that smoke. Yeah. The artificial smallness of it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's what I was really struck by watching the set come down. Um, it, it, seeing it from a distance mm-hmm. was what was really chilling. Yeah. The, the, money, the money shot, obviously, is the actual explosion of the dragon fire. And, right. But, Which was but, really interestingly wet. It was. I liked was how like wet it was. Napalm or something. Yeah, like yeah. It totally looked more like napalm than an actual like fire explosion, which I thought was really interesting. A friend of mine said that they thought that she, that Marjorie made a huge mistake in trying to convince everybody to leave. That she should have just she bolted. should have just slipped out. Yeah, but but I don't think it would ever would have happened because her brother was there. Right, her and brother and her dad fighting. were both there, and and it was a very. Um, sort of logical end that she would die holding mm-hmm. her sibling, right? Because that was right. a symbol. Thing. Um, although the highlight for me was the high sparrow quickening his breath and starting to panic. Yeah. For all, all of his talk, 
about being humble before his God. Right. And, you know, oh, whatever, you know, whatever happens. Yeah, in the end, he was a human going, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, I fucked up. <laughs> I mean, and that was the first seven minutes of this episode. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, I mean, it just blows right into it. And literally. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just crazy. And the the shots, the way they, they cut between the explosion and Tom and watching the explosion and then to the basement and with uh, the, the septa. Yep. And how Cersei literally, like, she didn't even check in on her son. She just assumed, okay, he was here when this happened. He's safe. Let's go do this next bit of revenge here. Well, and the whole thing where I love that, I mean, it's become a symbol for her. Mm-hmm. Pouring of the wine and drink of the wine. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't give a shit symbol. I love that she's pouring wine and drinking it as all of her enemies. Yeah. In an, in an un, um, nearly unprecedented scale. Yeah. Obliterated. Right. This terrorist attack was stunning and yeah the basement scene yeah with the shame with the shame nun <laughs> uh she said that they filmed that what they filmed was a lot tamer than what was originally planned oh really and I, you can only imagine the horrors the 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 the, the, the brutal whatever torture raping right. or whatever that they originally planned it's implied yeah absolutely i read i read in one site they said that she doomed the nun the shame nun to some to some uh, private time. It's <laughs> not the way I'd put it. But yeah, that was a really interesting, another good slow cooker scene. Yeah. You're not going to die right now. No. <laughs> oh, man. And they almost teased us with seeing the the full horror of the zombie. Right. Mountains, right? right. He takes off his helmet and his armor, which was, of course, re- implying horrible things are going to come. He's taking right. his armor off. I didn't like that at all. I don't like rape, but... Um, you know, well, the the oh, mountain's shit. notorious for that in the books too, for really? raping people. Yeah, and a winner in my book, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Super unpleasant, but um, you know, she uh, she got some serious revenge in those mm-hmm. scenes, and yet, Tommen doing that, just like all hope is lost. Right. My mother is complete control. Well, and I think- I really wonder too for Tommen, like. I'm assuming he realizes that his mom isn't there at the sept, but there's never anything that explicitly states that for him. Yeah, I don't know. I The fact that the mountain blocked him, I was going to ask you what you thought about that because it was very ambiguous to me. Yeah. Because, so the mountain blocks him, mm-hmm. which suggests intent. Right. But it could mean she wanted him to stay away. Right. From what was happening, but she was still going to be at her trial. Right. I don't right. think he would ever. He I don't think he ever would have considered that she wouldn't go to her trial. Right. Yeah. To to me, it felt like, from Tommen's point of view, his mom didn't want him there when she was admitting to things or being doomed. And like, I feel like Tommen genuinely thought everyone that he cared about was at that sept. The only thing, and so, and I, and my first thought about that was they could have had him say something like "mom" or something like that, right? You know, mother, mother, and then dive. But the the only reason I think that he actually figured it out or he understood mm-hmm. was that the mountain, after it blew up, the mountain Left. goes clink and walked yeah. away. Yeah. So it seemed very planned. And that point, he looked at him, and then he was, eh, and then he walked away and put the crown down, and then took a swan dive. Yeah. So you know, it was cinematic the way he did it, but I. The way my takeaway on it was that Tommen 
got some control for the first time in his life. Mm -hmm. And you've heard that from people, you know, suicide victims have talked about, this is one thing I can do. Right. Some suicide victims in their writings or whatever. So that was the impression that I got was that he was just like, wait, I've been, I'm, I'm completely. Well, and I think even if he realized that Circe wasn't there, he had to know she was responsible for it. And he knew that his wife, his wife was there. His uncle was there. And there was, there's gotta be something about that, that in his brain, he realizes that his mom is responsible for that. And that that's all he has left at this point. And that he can't, you know, it's, She's done a lot of dubious things that he was aware of mm-hmm. to some degree, but maybe not because he was kind of naive. Right. But maybe it's that horror of, you know, my mom's a serial killer. I can't right. A mass oh, it's, murderer. It was very powerful. <laughs> and, and yet you think, and it, again, this is the second time that Cersei has looked upon the body of one of her curse. Right. Foreshadowed dead children and didn't scream and freak out and do all the things you think you're, she's going to do. She's stone faced about it. Mm-hmm. She did this with her daughter. She did it again. And I thought it was really chilling because yeah. I feel like she was so had so accepted the curse. She had so accepted that this had happened, even though it wasn't intended that she was like, well, you know, and the fact that she would just go and claim the throne for the minute that she's going to have it. Right. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty intense, right? Yeah. All those people were just like, uh, <laughs> well, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> That's not right. You know, right. It was, it was, there was no, I mean, granted, we've seen a couple of other people climb a throne without people cheering, mm-hmm. but you know, there was no, cer- there was no pomp to it. Right? No, it was not just, at just all. sat on it and everyone was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. We have nothing that we can say. <laughs> and the fact that Jamie arrived, saw the plumes and everything race yeah. down and then comes into the that the throne room or whatever up up in the up in the the balcony whatever and then looks down on her and she's just stone face yeah i i know in the books they're they're separated from each other but i feel like there there was a moment where he was just like well i've lost cersei she's not, that's not her anymore right yeah there's got to be a part of him too that's like if i hadn't have friggin' gone to dinner with the phrase and hung out there and bantered with Braun, would I have been here in time to stop whatever the fuck just happened? Yeah, if I hadn't followed her direction to go rally the army and yeah. all that stuff that she said, which at the time sort of was strategically made sense. Right. Yeah. He, but he, it was her saying, getting him out of town at the same time. Well, but he said a couple of times in those discussions at um, River Run. Mm-hmm. River Run? Yeah. Where he was saying, you know, he really meant, I love her. I don't care. That's right. all I care about now is being with my sister. So screw you. I'm going right. to do whatever it takes. And now he comes back and finds that, you know, the person that he was with is gone. Right. And responsible for the death of his son as well. Oh, yeah. It's just astounding. And then, you know, just as far as Game of Thrones' willingness to kill off major characters, I mean, that was a <laughs> lot. It wasn't quite Red Wedding level intensity, but it certainly was a lot of major characters. Went yeah, out it was. <laughs> Never would have imagined that Marjorie would go out like that. Right. And man, Somehow, did she looked gorgeous before she was blown to pieces. She, she had some putting together. That's mm-hmm. true. But yeah, I mean, it just was. <laughs> it was pretty. Sp- it was pretty shocking. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, it um, was great. So there was then, a part of me that almost feels like that was the money shot of the episode. 
Yeah. It's certainly the most talked about, I think. Um, but they they followed it up with some really interesting stuff, too. What happened next? Uh, well, we've, we've skipped around a little bit, but uh, we jumped from that to Old Town with Sam and Gilly. Gilly. Very interesting scene to me. Yeah. I mean, it was comic relief a little bit, and it was it very char- character-forming. I loved seeing all the White Ravens leaving the tower as they pulled up. I was so, so confused about that because I thought they were pigeons. Ah, uh, right. I thought they were pes- I thought they were message message pigeons, and I thought I thought they use ravens for that. Right. Because it was white, right? I didn't right. realize that that was them saying, "Yeah, okay, see all the snow." Yeah, <laughs> winter is here. Father always said, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I I loved I really enjoyed the secretary guy and his no women or children. <laughs> he was his really reaction funny. was so funny there. <laughs> he was great. I like that guy. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed, but the the Game of Thrones logo that you despise so much came into play. Well, no. So I was just looking because my notes in my Evernote have not appeared synchronized for some reason. But I actually did some research on that because I was like, what? You know, I couldn't believe that it was there. And so, yeah, I don't know why. Oh, you know, it's because I was offline on the plane, I guess. But anyway, the thing is, that's – oh, I forget what the name of that is. Did you look it up? Do you remember what that – What? That tool is that the logo is lighty reflecty thingy. <sighs> okay, <laughs> hang on. Um, a pregnant pause because it's important. Uh, you'll be type in lighty reflecty thingy and see if it comes up. No, Portuguese flag. I'll tell you what it exactly is. Did you say Portuguese flag? Sure did. That sounds like a sweet drink. <laughs> so. What is it called? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, so this is a very interesting... It starts to make more sense. I don't know why it had to be in the sky and have all its bullshit but um, <laughs> in the intro. But as, a, but as a concept, the use of this is starting to make more sense to me in the, in the language of the, of, of the way that intro was created and how it's used here. Okay, so... Let's pretend I found it. I can't remember. I can't find it right now. But okay, so this tool <laughs> was the one of the first. So it's a highly complex mechanical device that was mm-hmm. created in the Middle Ages. And it is a model of how the celestial bodies work. Right. So and then they started to improve it. And so I think in the 1600s or so, someone made there was like one guy that was making these where it was one of these extremely rare perfect spheres that were cast with no edges okay they figured out the sort of molding process where the mold shifts around it's hmm. a wax mold that as the temperature changes it shifts around so it doesn't have a seam but the idea is you have a block a chunk and then you have a radius around that and then you have the, the orbiting arcs around that and so then by swiveling this thing around you can you can you can simulate what the sun angles and what the okay. celestial bodies are doing at any time so this is like a symbol of knowledge that you would associate with the enlightenment era or something right. like that right and so the idea that that thing has been floating around the stupid cgi sun in those intros <laughs> and then to have it as the chandelier in yeah. the master library to me was a really cool detail because now I finally have some respect for the damn thing. <laughs> because now I understand that it, it is an actual thing. Right. 
I just don't know the name of the thing right now. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting that it was specifically like set up so that it bounced light down the halls of the books that were all chained up, and it was really interesting. the The library was super cool. It was a, it was such library porn. Yeah, and I've looked at a lot of library porn photos over the years, <laughs> as your wife has, I'm sure. Yes. How amazing was the scale of that thing? Yeah. And the idea that he's supposed to go and find some secrets. And then, you know. <laughs> right. Right. He's like, I just have to go find out how to make these swords that can kill the white. Whoa, God. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was super cool. And then, you know, just everything about. Although the one thing that bothered me in that scene was that they when they get dropped off. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, he's got his. His sword. giant wrapped sword, yeah, yeah, and then and then all of a sudden, he, you know, he all of a sudden he shows up and he doesn't have it anymore. So I don't know where. Yeah, I'm went. assuming they must have like left their baggage with a porter at the front door or something because uh, they they had plenty of baggage with them when they got off the the, the turnip wagon, and nothing when they showed up to talk to Swishy McJerkface at the door there. <laughs> so. So I've read many references to that being an astrolabe. And when I just looked it up again, I got that reference. But I looked when I was reading this yesterday, there was a completely different um, name for the equipment. Okay. So I'm not sure. I'm not, I can't be positive that it's truly an astrolabe and not something else. But here's something that I liked about it. Um, in the intro, mm-hmm. you always see the two things I complain about in the intro. Besides the fact that they didn't make CGI, I mean, that they didn't use practical effects for those models, but the two are the the solar astrolabe or whatever it is flying mm-hmm. around. Okay, irritating. But also, what about that lens switching when you yeah. when you go from the wall and you pan out and it goes and it makes the lens sound uh-huh. and you fades away? And what was this guy in the in the library? The, gate, <laughs> the keeper in the library has has a a lens system on his head. The magnifying, yeah. Fire. Yeah. So maybe what if that whole intro is supposed to be the Maesters looking at the history of Westeros? I'm really genuinely assuming that they just heard one of our episodes and they were like, well, we need to shove Tom's foot in his mouth. Let's (laughs) let's do this scene real quick, like. (laughs) There was a reason, man. (laughs) We planned it all along, man. Right. So, anyway. All right. So that's the thing. I love that scene. Um, Yeah, it was really good. Probably the right amount. Um but it gave us hope that he's going to, you know, whatever, find something. Right. Yeah. Some and then we moved. Wind walk, or, uh, you know, whatever is it? White, white Walker. Uh, Repellent. You know, mitiga- mitigation <laughs> techniques. Volume right. three. It's like, oh. Right. <laughs> so, all right. What was next? Uh, then we moved to the scene with the red woman and Ooh. Davos. That was a dope scene as well. Yeah. I was waiting for that for a long time. We we just talked about that last episode. Like, why the hell has he not come at her yet? Right. Well, it was so. really well done. I loved the the casual way that John and Melisandre were talking before Davos came in, and how everything fucking changed when he confronted her with that. So, do you think this is an example? Of Jon Snow being like his assumed father, Ned Stark, in his principles overriding his common sense. I don't know, because honestly, Ned would have killed her. I'm not sure. He knows what's coming. 
and he knows how powerful she is and how much he needs her. He does. In the war to come with the White Walkers. But he also, like, in that, that very first episode, he literally tells the boys that this guy didn't actually do anything wrong, but he still deserted the Night's Watch and must therefore be killed kind of thing. Well, what I'm saying is whether he killed her... Oh, I, I know where you're going. I understand what you're saying. What I, I'm I not don't saying, know if you do. No. No, kidding. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm not saying killing versus excommunicating. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that the smart play was to keep her around because he needs her for, oh. the, for, the, for the, the real battle to come, which is of greater importance than what she did. But you know, he ended up dealing with her on a, on a righteous level instead. To me, I feel like his response was a reaction to the fact that he can no longer trust her. And yeah. knowing her methods and techniques, he doesn't want her help in what's to come. <laughs> methods and techniques. What it says here on your, on your resume that you burn children. You burn children and use leeches and sex as a weapon. <laughs> your skin doesn't feel the way it looks like it should feel. You also have unearthly baby births that kill people. <laughs> I was, you know, I was kind of expecting that she was going to take the, the face off and then be like, yeah. you know, but she <laughs> anyway, <laughs> You know, and it says something about um, Sir Davos, about him uh, trusting and, I guess, supporting John mm-hmm. that he didn't just go and stab her anyway. Like, yeah. he accepted the excommunication instead of the, the 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 killing that he wanted to do. And this is not a guy that you see running around asking for people's heads to be chopped right. off. I mean, this is, he's not. I mean, he's a he's a soldier in a way. He's not really a soldier. He's well, a soldier in his current life, but he was a smuggler before that. He pretty clearly chose a specific time to confront them both when they were there by themselves. Yeah. And he knew going into that that John would be the one to hand down the sentence there. And he respected John enough to choose that time to make the confrontation, which I thought was pretty interesting. That's an interesting perspective. I don't know. I didn't I, I wasn't I almost felt like it was just sort of like, it, you know. This is the first chance he's had to go back and confront her. But you're right. Maybe. Maybe he did that with John as witness on purpose. I don't know. It's pretty amazing, though. It's yeah. Just, and also amazing to think about the fact that they, that uh, Liam, what's his name, and her are close friends. Right. So those two actors are very close friends, and they get to do the money acting of their careers, in my opinion. That yeah. scene is amazing. Yeah, it really was excellent. All right. What, what happened next? Uh, after we see Melisandre ride off into the snow, uh, Sansa and John stand up on the ramparts and have that super cute little conversation. So her riding off into the snow was another another amazing shot in this episode. Mm-hmm. The scale of it, her going off in the distance, but then also, that you know, massive, all of the, yeah, world that extended in front of her was really the imagery of the snow, the imagery of the winter that was coming was was profound, right? I yeah. mean, the scale is great. So yeah, the wall with uh, or that scene with the uh, Sansa. Yeah, right? it was the it was the confrontation that people were clamoring for, but it didn't go the way people thought it would. Right, which it went the way I assumed it would, honestly. But I I can understand how people would assume it would go the other way. Do you do you interpret her? Um, I mean, we're not really given the synopsis of what happened because everybody's seen it for God's right. sake, but. So did you interpret her as suggesting that she knew 
that the armies of the Vale were going to arrive when they did and that she orchestrated that because a lot of people have indicated that online and I did not get that impression. I thought that she was strictly referencing the fact that she didn't tell him that they were coming because she was uncertain about how he would take it or whether he was valuing it or whether she just made her own decision. And she's apologizing for keeping the secret. I feel like, yeah, I feel like they didn't know, like they weren't hiding in the wings waiting there. I think right. I get the impression that it was more of one of those things where they just didn't, she didn't tell him they were coming kind of thing. They got there when they got there. Right. right. Which, I mean, the fact remains the way that the previous episode was overanalyzed by everybody. I mean, it's, it's obvious that if they had arrived earlier or John knew they were coming or whatever, he would have changed this tactic. It would have right. been a diff- different circumstance. And frankly, it wouldn't have, it would have gone even worse. It would have. The only absolutely. way, the only way this worked was that it was such a surprise attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they'd been there from the beginning, it would have become a siege situation, and it would have been far worse. Although, we have confirmed in the end of the previous episode that Yun Yun dearly one, departed. 1-1. One. 1-1? One, one. One, one. One, one. How many? 1. 1-1. 1-1. 1-1. W-U-N-W-U-N. So, 1-1-1 one, one, one is all you need. Because Winterfell is not giant proof. That is very true, actually. But they yeah. didn't know. Yeah, they didn't know. They hadn't so. sent a, dry, a, a giant against it quite yet. So we don't know that Winterfell has ever been giant tested. <laughs> right? It's giant approved, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So that sequence on the wall was interesting because she told him about it. Mm-hmm. She apologized for not telling him first and all that stuff. But at the same time. She's still not 100%. Right. Because she's still not saying, oh, and by the way, he's here. Am I getting that sequence right? Did she meet with Littlefinger first or after? No. This was before she talked to him at the Okay. All right. But even so, she knows why. Yeah, she knew he has machinations. Absolutely. There's no question. So, you know, I mean, she she still didn't go into the detail of how much she knows how entwined she is with Littlefinger and why he was willing to do this. Right. She implied it a little bit and he, and, and he accepted it with a remarkable grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's telling though, it was an interesting choice in the story that at this time they're ba- they're bouncing back and forth. Well, you should have it. No, it's yours. Mm-hmm. No, no, you, you should do it. Then, you know, back and forth. And then in the, in the later scene, when we have the King of the North scene echoing Rob Stark's scene, right. It's not you don't see him ever go, well, <laughs> you don't. But I think they both kind of realize that they need Jon Snow to be the figurehead. I yeah. think both of them are smart enough to realize that she isn't going to be the person that they rally behind. I'm glad you said that because everyone I've talked to and everything I've read has suggested that he steps up and she looks over at Littlefinger and it's. A mutual, it's her looking at him saying, well, you know, I, you know, I don't like this. You know, maybe oh, really? I'm getting screwed. Because she does have, remember, because Littlefinger said to her. Yeah. You know, oh, you're really going to let the bastard did it? I just, I really got nothing. the feeling that it was more of a, this is what I chose option to him. I, I as, I as well. I thought that she had, that she believed that him as the figurehead mm-hmm. and her as a right hand, you know, whispering right. in his ear, or being allied with him in a non-marriage way, but, you know, being 
you know, family with him, that he was almost like her knight. Like he was doing the work and being the figurehead for rallying everybody in a way that she couldn't because she was not, she didn't have a reputation. Right. Um, so I interpreted her looking over at Littlefinger and Littlefinger being doing that really cool side, yeah, right. side look that he was doing. I mean, I love this. My favorite character in Game of Thrones is <laughs> Littlefinger. I love this guy. I thought that it was more like she's looking at him and he's looking at her and she's like, ah, crap. Like he's, you know, it's a, it's a huge weakness for her. Yeah. It's her Achilles heel. And I think that that look was her, you know, sort of, you know, whatever, seeing what was really happening with him. Yeah, I agree. Not that she was, you know, looking at him, uh, you know, saying, oh, look, look, I've lost my, I'm not the queen. I'm not the queen of the North or whatever it is. Right. The lady of the North. Uh, That was an incredible scene. And again, little young Mormont stole it completely. (laughs) Just completely. (laughs) Shamed everybody into doing these amazing sword slamming oaths and all this other stuff but you know it was all because a 12 year old was like nope yeah you guys all suck i was right you were wrong come on get with the program (laughs) it was interesting it was interesting that our favorite tormund uh didn't say he didn't cheer yeah north because it's not his system right he literally had just that one line where he was like we didn't invade we were invited (laughs) So a lot of you know, I've read some things. People are making a big deal about. Well, will, will the wildlings break off? Will they not fall on because he wasn't swearing loyalty? And I don't. I think people who wrote that were missing the point. I wildlings so. are not part of the system, right? They're helping him. They're helping him take over the north because right. they agree that he needs to have a consolidated front in order to deal with the White Walkers. Yeah, they they're don't not care about this whole political bullshit. Yeah, yeah. they're they there because. Jon Snow is the reason they're there. <laughs> I mean, that's that's right. all they need there. They're like, okay, there's a threat coming. This is how we beat it. This is Jon Snow. This is who we follow. They're not like, King of the North. They're more like, bring us more mutton. <laughs> the whole scene with them screaming King of the North and raising their swords and all that. I mean, it was really neat to see how, how well that was mimicking yeah. the day Rob Stark. You know, the day that doomed Rob Stark, really. Right. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe his choice of marrying who he wanted to marry doomed him. But yeah, even so. That was the that was the um that was the foreshadowing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally. not necessarily a, a gleeful thing. So anyway, so what what else? What did we go to Uh I don't know. Consult your notes. Let's see, I'm consulting my notes. Uh pages flipped. Oh, actually, after jo- Sansa and Jon on the ramparts, uh, the King of the North part starts, like, far later on. Um, it's actually, okay. we hop over to Sunspear with okay. uh, Lady Tyrell, the the Queen oh, right. of Thorns, disciplining <laughs> the assorted sands. <laughs> the angry I little pay, boys. <laughs> I, would, I would pay money to just watch her just berate them all. You? Anything to say? She's nope. so <laughs> amazing. I was just so, Diane Riggs is just another example of where they just seem to own these the their later years, yeah, with such specificity in their delivery and their their oh, presence. So good. She, she she has been excellent in this role from beginning to end. Yeah. And, um, we were just talking about like, well, is the Dorn subplot dumped? Does do, does anyone even care? Mm-hmm. The only thing they have going for them, relevance wise, was that they hate the Lannisters. <laughs> and then right. here we are. I did not see this coming that she 
would go from King's Landing straight to Dorne. Right. But when you think about the fact that she may be the only surviving Tyrell, certainly mm-hmm. nobility-wise, kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it from that point of view. And if you look at the map, I mean, Dorne is kind of... It's one of those things where you kind here? of get to get to where they are, and they're like, well, let's just make a left at Albuquerque and head to Sunspear and see what's going on there kind of thing. Uh, Chris uh, posted a link to this incredible super high super high res res. map that I still can't find anything. Okay, I can kind of Okay, find. so <laughs> over in the left-hand corner, you see where the the arbor is? I want to know more about Clegane's Keep near Cla- Casterly Rock. I didn't know That's that. That's neither here nor there. Okay. <laughs> uh, just northeast of the arbor, if you follow that white line up, there's High Garden. That's the yeah. Tyrell stronghold right there. Uh, and the Sea of Dorne is over to the right, and down in the lower, like, southeastern corner there is Sunspear. Got it. So, yeah. I, well, and she got there, like, she's talking to them after King's Landing know... has exploded. I did not get a sense that Sea of Dorne was so close to, uh... wow, I need to study this map more. You know, it's weird in all of my fantasy readings growing up, and even my history readings, I always ignored maps for some reason. <laughs> and it's it goes back to me reading history and thinking about it like a narrative and not right. like a geographical thing. And it was only like late college when I started looking at maps. And then I started looking at fantasy maps going, huh, you know, <laughs> right. a huge amount of there there, you know. Right. So now, yeah, I, I see exactly what you're saying. The way this stuff is organized is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Realistically, uh, uh-huh. I think it's one of those things where you have to really look at the time in these last few episodes is really flexible. It is because Varus jumped all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. He was there. Well, and there's been a lot of criticism for Varys about how he's at Sunspear with uh, the Queen of Thorns and the Sands, and then all of a sudden he's over on Danny's boat at the money shot at the very end. Right. But if you think about the fact that they're headed off towards King's Landing, there's nothing saying they couldn't have stopped at Sunspear and picked up the boats and Varys right. and all of that, and that they're that close to King's Landing already. This is amazing. I'm sorry. I'm just getting, getting lost in this math. I'm like, <laughs> map, and I'm like, wow. Slaver's Bay. I love his ocean names. Everything he names that is water-based, I really enjoy. He's got, like, the, the Red Wine Straits and the Summer Sea and the the Smoking Sea and the, the Gulf of Grief. His water names are just absolutely amazing. The Narrow Sea really is narrow. It it's is amazing very amazing how close those continents are. Yeah. Yeah, it okay, kind so, of puts some of the stuff in perspective looking at the map while you're talking about it. Yeah. So 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 that was a neat point because sand makes the makes the proposal that, mm-hmm. you know, we all ally due to our mutual hatred of the Lannisters. Right. And then Varys pops up and that immediately applies a serious amount of legitimacy to the scheme, right? Right. And that's the first moment where you realize, holy crap, there this 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 alliance is in support of Daenerys, which right. is at, up until that moment you're thinking it's just going to be this is just another attack on Lannisters right. on the front. 
But instead, it's totally a girl power. Oh, let's get all the queens together and go against the other queen. Mm-hmm. There are no male rulers except the king in the north at this point right now. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, okay, then what happened after that? That was a great scene. Yeah, it was a really good scene. Um, then it cuts uh, over to Dario and Danny, which was probably the right. slowest scene in the episode. It kind of had to happen, but I felt like it was a little longer than it needed to be. Yeah, because no one really cares. Yeah. He's dumping. We I really mean, don't it, give a shit about Dario Naharis. <laughs> and it said something about her character arc that she would do that, but at the same time, mm-hmm. and that she would do, and, and that it was Tyrion's advice yeah. to do it, and that she's following his advice. What was far more powerful was the scene with her and Tyrion. Which was that so was like, good. That was like, you know, of the best scenes in the series. Yeah. And talk about uh, getting your money's worth in acting. Yeah. With, with the way he portrayed a range of emotions. Again, I go back to Mark Hamill at the end of Force Awakens, <laughs> right? 20 minutes of, of facial expressions. Right. Well, and the, thing. the way it was shot was really interesting and powerful, too, where they, they're sitting on those steps, so they had a variety of heights, and they could yes. play off how short he was or how similar in height they were when they're sitting down. And it was really interesting the way that was shot, where... It moved just enough to keep it really interesting proportionally as they talked. And he was overwhelmed and then honored and then humiliated by him being emotional but then empowered. So all those emotions rain flying through his face mm-hmm. when she gave him that. And also, I mean, the, the symbolism of it, the, yeah. the idea that she would forge not her own sigil, not some sort of thing about dragons or anything else. Right. She'd create the hand of the king – or the hand yes. of the queen, the best as best she thinks it's supposed to be based on what she's heard, and it's in Dothraki silver instead of or is right. it Targaryen silver, whichever it is, and not the traditional gold. Yeah, was so powerful, and the fact that she was committing in advance, like saying, you know, okay, here you are. Yeah, you've earned this. Uh, this was just, I mean, it was such a powerful scene for him. Yeah, it was really, really good. I and I. I always want more Tyrion, but I thought that this scene in particular was like the perfect, the precise scene amount of Tyrion for him, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> just so powerful. I mean, he's just like stymied. Yeah, what was happening? That offer of his sword, if he had a sword, and <laughs> it was just so good. <laughs> yeah, and then we moved from that up to the North remembers with Mister Frey. Okay, so talk about fan service. Yeah. So that whole thing, uh, so there was a couple of things that happened there that was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Jamie yes. be an old school Jamie for a minute, and it was really good acting. I mean, it was fun watching it was. him. You know, no, you don't compare us. <laughs> right. Not King Slayers together. Yeah. Yeah, and we skipped over the, the whole brawn part a little bit. Um, I thought it's always fun to see the two of them talk. And it was interesting to rewatch it knowing who the servant girl was. Right. Um, because there's a couple of scenes in that where, like, Frey specifically mentions the Starks as she's walking by in the background. And a yep. few little things like that, which I really, really liked. And she looked dead on at Jamie for a minute. Yeah. Which was great foreshadowing. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, you know, it's the fact that Jamie just cut Frey down like what he did. Right. So, you know, you, you know, 
we're nothing alike, and you've never fought, and I like their little bickery banter where Frey's like, but the only things you've done is stab people in the backs and (laughs) get captured. He's a contemptible character, but he's not stupid. No, he's not. His point was correct. Yeah. You know, it's who wins matters, right? I mean, he was right about it, even though he ended up sitting up in his little weird damp keep with all (laughs) his little baby wives or whatever. Right. he never seemed to have much uh, ambition other than to hold the lands that he had. But right. That was Which amazing. I kind of liked the fact that the next scene they show him, he's sitting alone in the dark in this damp-ass, terrible keep. Yep. And he's the only one left in the room. And the servant girl brings him some food. <laughs> yep. Well, and, and even I mean, very few of these buildings have looked... Uh, specifically to the north or away from the capital and some of these other lands, none of these buildings have looked very comfortable. Right. They have been fairly period accurate in the medieval way, right? Cold, dark, damp, scary, giant monolithic places. Absolutely. Which makes, I mean, even King's Landing, when it's very well illuminated and all this, it's still very uh, monumental in scale. Right. But... You know, the rooms are so opulent that it starts to look good. And Dorne was very opulent and everything. But, yeah, I mean, even Winterfell, mm-hmm. when when the Boltons had it, and then even when the Starks reclaim it, it looks it still looks like someone's really big underheated cabin. Right. But, anyway, so Frey. So Frey meets his bitter end, and it's this ultimate fan service moment. <laughs> right. And, uh... When that scene happened and she, you know, people bemoan that, oh, she's gone to the dark side and blah, blah, blah. But when she does it and she shows him before she does it. Right. Confirming, as we wondered, whether she has the face capability. Yes. Sure it does. She does it. And uh, anyway, so I had to write it down because it amused me so much afterwards. But I didn't. It, she does it. He looks up. Mm-hmm. He's looking at her. He's fading. And she's just kind of, you know, whatever. And that's that long scene of him dying out. Right. The and really I really gorgeous, like the way you could see the cut in his throat moving and flexing as he tried to breathe. Oh, oh and then so good. I did, I did an involuntary double thumbs up like this, <laughs> <at> this <laughs> and I and I flipped them. I remember going like this, like I popped the cork on <laughs> two thumbs ups. And then I was so amused at my involuntary reaction that I had to stop it and write it down. <laughs> so, <laughs> I double thumbed up the nice. throat slashing of Walter Frey. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so. Um, so here's a thought. Do you think given the deviation from the books Mm -hmm. and the way that they have done the, whatever the masterless men or whatever that group of soldiers is called, what's it called? Brotherhood without banners. That's the one. Do you think that maybe they're leveraging Arya to being the stone lady? Not in the... Undead I'm sense, really undead. wondering if she might take over some of that aspect. Yeah, because, like, uh, I don't know. Because the Stone Lady is, I mean, she's a zombie or whatever, right. but ultimately it's she's just a she's driven by revenge, purely. Right. Revenge, right? right. And we last saw. I don't, where the hell did. Where was the Hound at last? I, I don't even remember where he was. Oh, he was with. You mean where on the map? Yeah. I don't know, down there. And then He's in the, 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 the area somewhere. But yeah, like, we've got the Hound and the Brotherhood Without Banners and uh, 
Brienne and all of those guys are all kind of right in this little neck area between Winterfell and King's Landing. And, yeah, I mean, it's totally... I feel like maybe they are just going to give Arya the Lady Stoneheart stuff. I could see them doing something similar to that, where she's kind of the instrument of revenge for right. the Starks. And that's what I mean by it. I don't think that they will give her a persona like that. Right. Although, I can think of mechanisms in this in the story where they could make her look less and less human that yeah. there's something about the repeated use of that technology of the, ma- the right. masks and whatever that she starts to pale out or something like that i can see her becoming although jockin uses it pretty liberally just for shits and giggles most you're of right. the time you're, you're right <laughs> he always goes back to his brad pitt base though right anyway um so fantastic now what about um uh, Bram and his and uh, yeah the, and, the and big cold, cold reveal hands. confirmation thing. I, I yeah. first of all, I really like the way Cold Hand. Um, he said the wall has the strong magic and he can't go through it and can't cross it. Which I like Although the confirmation no of that. True, and the implication though they didn't outright say it. The implication is that because Bram let the uh, the Night King touch him, mm-hmm. it breached. So it fundamentally right. breached the magic of the tree, the whatever that mm-hmm. area was. The question in my mind is: When Bram crosses over, does he breach is it the wall? Happen? So right. is Bram the reason that they can get across the wall? Because right now they don't have a way too. of getting across. Yeah, yeah. The only way they could get there would be to go like clear around and like through the like by sea, basically, um, right. and. Yeah, I'm really curious because I'm assuming, I mean, they don't confirm it specifically, but I'm assuming the white tree that he's at is the one that the brothers in black pledge to when they're first made brothers, when they're made crows, that's just on the other side of the wall. Oh, interesting. So he's Uh, like really close to Castle Black right at this point. The, those trees are, I mean, it was so well known for being in Winterfell in, in the previous seasons. And now that we've seen that they were the tre- the trees, the, the children, right. you know, were in and among and whatever else. And that there were whole forests of them in the north. So right. initially I thought that that scene was just some random one of those trees. Weirwood trees? Yeah, and weirwood, then, yeah. And then I started to wonder if it was the tree that the uh, the dude was staked on that led to the... But I mean, who knows? Yeah, it I'm. I'm assuming it's the one at the very beginning um, of the very first season where they're out. Um, when like when they take the black, they the ones that follow the old gods, they go north of the wall, and like John went north of the wall and pledged his allegiance in front of that big weirwood tree. Right. And I'm assuming that that's the tree they're at, and that's why Benjamin's leaving them there, and not like. 30 leagues to the north where he's just like, well, taking my horse. Peace out. But it is interesting, though, that he basically said, OK, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> like he took him there and then split. And, and how, what's she supposed to do with him? Yeah. Carry him? He's <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm sure he'll get some sort of awesome vision. Um, not really my problem, but I'm not leaving you my horse. <laughs> and then I'll yeah, right. <laughs> craft a vision chariot and get the hell out. All right. Well, so that scene was... Uh, important in the narrative only because it confirmed the 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 he essentially L plus, already confirmed yeah the l plus r equals j theory. right uh so it, this is a book thing it I is think. a book thing um basically but, 
it's confirming that Jon Snow is actually Ned Stark's nephew and that his dad is a Targaryen and Jon Snow is one of the last living Targaryens. Now, everybody's saying it's Rhaegar Targaryen, mm-hmm. but wasn't, in the books anyway, wasn't the story that his father mm-hmm. was a like serial womanizer that took everybody that he wanted and all this other stuff. And isn't it possible? So we don't know that it's Rhaegar that actually took her. Uh, we that could also be, and it could do. also be the father. Um, right? Because at the time that all of that is happening, that's um, while the father is kind of getting like killed, basically. Burn them all! Yeah, burn them all! And he's just, like, batshit crazy. What an, um, what an interesting bait and switch, though, that we think that he's hearing the screams of the raping happening. Right. Actually, it's the screams of childbirth. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, the blood. Do you think the blood was from massive trauma from childbirth? I or think do you so. Think, yeah. I think so. Yeah, because Lyanna originally was betrothed to Robert Baratheon. Right. And she had this whole like tournament thing where she revealed herself as a woman and not a man. And that was where Rhaegar was um, like, oh, my God, I like her kind of thing. Um, okay, but so, I mean, so it's certainly implied that the baby's John because, you know, right. the, the, the linkage of those two scenes and the eyes and everything else. Mm-hmm. But... It's interesting that and conspicuous to me that they still had the majority of what she's saying to him whispered. I thought that was interesting, too. Yeah, because according to the legend on it, like she is abducted by him and taken away down to Dorne for an uncertain amount of time. And Brandon, um, her brother, uh, Eddard's brother finds out about it and goes to King Landing to talk to the Mad King to demand her return. And that's when the Mad King, like, kills him. He Mm -hmm. lights him on fire and boils him alive in their armor and that kind of shit. And so that's what starts the whole Robert's Rebellion thing that starts out the the entire war and the Kingslayer and them finally finding her at the Tower of Joy. Huh. So it's definitely she definitely spent a pretty good amount of time with just Rhaegar down but in we the don't Tower know, of Joy. But we don't know whether she was actually abducted or whether she ran off with him. Right. It's possible she may have gone willingly. It's like that part has never been clearly said. And I'm not clear on whether she would know in the keep that she's hiding out in to give birth in. Mm-hmm. That she would know that the Baratheon took over. And that he's hunting Targaryens. Yeah, there's no indication that she would know any of that necessarily. So that's why I'm a little bit, I'm trying to figure out how within the context of the story, mm-hmm. what the story, what it is with her giving the baby to Ned and saying, you know, promise me. Like, I don't know if. The only she, thing that makes sense there is if Lyanna knew that Baratheon was on this rampage killing all of the Targaryens, this is the only way to save her son's life. Oh, because clearly. Robert would immediately smash that baby. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah, he was he, yeah, he was killing other... I mean, that was clearly the whole thing that led to... ultimately led to Ned being 
in dire straits. Right. Was not wanting to go along with all that Targaryen hunting. But the question in my mind is, does Lyanna know that that's happening and is saying, right. save my son and hide him so they don't kill him for being a Targaryen? Or is she saying, I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah. yeah this, I, need you, the... I need you to raise my child. And maybe the whispering mm-hmm. is because she's asking him, please make him a Stark. Right. Give him, give him a home. Give him, give him belonging. Right. You know, whatever. And then he's, and then his secret shame is that he couldn't, you know, we're thinking he's made, he's fulfilled his dying sister's wish and carried this dark secret and ruined his marriage and did all these horrible things in order to hide the identity of his bastard because he's trying to honor her. But maybe the real, real thing is he's not doing what she asked him to do. Right. By leaving him a bastard and doing all that stuff, he's hiding him against what she was asking for because he knows that John will be killed. Right. Because she has no way of knowing that they would go after him. Not not unless she knows because Rhaegar's like, I gotta go, your fucking fiance's killing all my family or something ever... like that. So But it, the their choice to have it whispered there was really interesting to me. So is Rhaegar the same as the same character that was Daenerys' older brother? Or is that a different guy? Uh, no, Rhaegar, um, he has never actually been seen. He was dead when the series actually started. Okay. He was the elder son of Ares. Okay. So he's the so, older brother of Ares and Daenerys. Okay. And how did he die? Uh, the books. I think Robert killed him. Let me let me bring this up real quick here. Um, yeah, Robert killed him. Um, okay. let's see here. Rhaegar was killed in single combat with Lyanna's betrothed Robert Baratheon in the midst of a spectacular duel. Rhaegar how... was struck down with a massive blow from the Warhammer. So was Robert Baratheon a more like rugged warrior before he was oh, on the throne? Yeah. And yeah. then he became bloated and stuff from just his yeah, time Yeah, just off. being the king and everything. Yeah, when he was in his youth, he was like this big strapping warrior guy, like super fit. He used a gigantic war hammer, and that was like his thing. Um, cool. I'm trying to remember how I, – I know they said somewhere how large it was, but A-D-D. it's just massive. Yeah, like he he was supposed to be a great warrior. He had this, this good bloodline. He was super noble, and that's why it became like his rebellion kind of thing and why he became king. Um, so was his – so his – I mean I know that the story of Westeros, whatever, goes back thousands of years and all this, but right. was – so the Targaryens were like it was like the Mongolian thing, right? They mm-hmm. came and conquered and took the throne, right? At some point, and there were generations of Targaryens on the throne before the Mad King. Uh, yeah, yeah. How um, long were the Targaryens on the throne? Oh shit, I don't have a clue. But what's your concept? I mean, what's, what's, um, what's your... at least like six or seven generations prior? Okay, so. So Westeros was, in in recent memory, Westeros was a Targaryen 
ruled world. Yes. With dragons and all this stuff. Right. Then and then all that stuff they talked about early on that the dragons were not used. They they were fighting amongst themselves or whatever all that stuff was that they were using the dragons in weird ways and then they just became neutered and whatever sort right. of genetically just kind of faded into being nothing again yeah basically um so all that was happening during different contests to challenge the throne among targaryens mm-hmm. targaryens owning the throne so that so so westeros was conquered centuries ago and has been i might be wrong there actually let me look real quick um because there's a thing called Aegon's Conquest, which is where he conquered most of Westeros. Um, well, the reason I ask is that the whole idea that the dragons are a myth and no one believes them, just like they don't believe in White Walkers, magic's a myth. Right. If the Targaryens have been on the throne for de- generations, how would the dragons... I'm still lost as to how the dragons have faded to myth. If, that quickly? Well, yeah. I mean, if if the Targaryens have been on the throne for the current era. Like if it, if it had been that the Targaryens were on the throne in our equivalent to our middle ages, and then we have several centuries of post Targaryen. Right. Then I can see aspects like the dragons being a myth of, of legend. Right. But if the Targaryens were actively on the throne until Robert's rebellion, Um, seems like the imagery of the dragons would be much more prevalent. Rhaegar Targaryen is listed as being born in 259 AC which is after conquest, which is how they word things there. So his great-great-grandfather was Aegon Targaryen, and he is the one that took over Westeros using dragons back in 2 BC to 1 AC. So Rhaegar, who is Danny's eldest brother, was born 259 years after the Targaryens took over. Okay, so that's interesting. All of the events of Game of Thrones that we've seen on the show mm-hmm. are all a very new skirmish for control of the yes. throne. And that's never really been... We've never gotten that impression in the narrative of the show. No. We've entirely seen things from this this Norman Saxon conquest thing. Right, right, where, yeah, like, they just conquered it. This is the first king since the conquering, and things have been... But the Targaryens were on the throne for 259 years. Wow. 283 many, years, actually, because that's when he died at the Trident. So, Given, given, how, many, <laughs> given how many butts have exchanged the throne in, the, in a relatively yeah. short period of time, it's been pretty tumultuous. Yeah. That's interesting. So, well, they don't write books about the day that you got an extra tomato in your lunch. <laughs> <laughs> or on my plant, because I'm a yeah. gardener here oh, in North, yeah, true. northern North South Africa, dude. So <laughs> so John is a Stark, yes. and he's a Targaryen. Yes. So do you think that's the ice and fire of the naming of the book? I think he's the ice. I think she's the fire. That's my guess. He's the ice. I think Jon Snow is the ice, and Danny is the fire. Hmm. So... Do you subscribe to the idea that it's the, that that whole prophecy of the three dragons? Do you think it's going to be three three people joint ruling or what? It... I don't know. I'm I'm not sure about that end of it. I don't know if maybe 
yeah, I don't know. I I'm really I'm open to the idea of like maybe Tyrion having a more thorough right. part in it or something like that. It is interesting but, that I mean John hasn't been anywhere near a dragon, so we don't know how they work. But right. you know Tyrion did go and walk up and free a dragon, right. free two dragons, and they sniffed him and said, "Okay, yeah, so, yeah." yeah it'll be interesting. Planted the seeds for it. Yeah. All right, so. Mm, so let's see. That's pretty much it. I mean, no, we we bounced we around a little bit. Um, yeah, we go back. Uh, well, actually, thematically, in a, the King in the North scene comes next. Then Jamie arrives home. Then we jump to Danny. But we've already talked about that other stuff. So. All right. So Danny, the big the big scene that we've been waiting season upon season upon season for was them launching the ships. And how cool is it that you can see? The banners, you could see that they've got Tyrell ships, yeah, ships, and the seized, seized master ships. Um, and what an amazing scene that they just fill, they just completely fill the horizon, yeah, right? with dragons overhead. It's just like such an alliance, it's such a massive alliance, it really. Is. After, after so many seasons where she's just like. Like floundering in marine, talking <laughs> right. big, talking big, but you see no evidence that it's going to go anywhere. Right, and and the most she did was claim a bunch of uh, tribesmen who are afraid of water. Right, <laughs> 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 and all of a sudden, I mean, you know, I didn't see any panicked uh, Dothraki on those ships. When right, C- CGI Dothraki doing ship labor. <laughs> they all look like her most recent, uh, the 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 guy that looked like uh, Drogo's trainer. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. There was J versions of him everywhere. I remember specifically a couple models that looked just like you him. even pillage, bro. <laughs> Do you even pillage, bro? So that was an incredible scene. It was just a it was just a fan service payoff, just like Absolutely. okay, on their way. And, and here's uh, everyone. So, so let's speculate a bit. So do you think in this upcoming season, let's let's assume that it's Dealing with Westerosian politics and invasions and whatever for the season seven, and then it's White Walkers for season eight. Yep. Do you think that there's going to be a sea battle before there is a land attack? Uh, that's a good question. Um, because I know that one of the things I'd read forever ago was that the Tyrells had a large enough sea God. Uh, ships and navy navy to actually outnumber the royal navy so they're just part of this invading force right they're just a fourth of it really um but it really comes down to whether euron and his group of people but the crazy thing about that is like they're like clear the hell over on the far west north side from king's landing and yet but the but but then but then we've had, uh, we had yeah Yara Eon, and, yeah. and Yara just show up. Yeah, very true. Though they had a head start, they did. They had like three episodes, but then these guys have a whole year before the next episode starts. So. <laughs> That's true. Do you th- so? Do you think following that logic? Though, do you think that there's in the process of forming kings in the Iron Islands? And the whole coming back from the dead mm-hmm. or surviving the drowning and all that stuff. Do you think that there is a literal link to the gods in that? Because I know George R. R. Martin had said early on that they would not, you would not see gods in this mm-hmm. series. But, you know, 
when I think of thwarting a, a large fleet and I think of the imagery that we're dealing with with the Iron right. Islands, I think a certain sea-dwelling... Release the Kraken! <laughs> you know, I would love to see something like that. I'm, I'm curious because as of this point in the show, the only god that's shown any kind of power at all has been the Lord of Light. Well, in the Kraken, it doesn't have to be a god. It can just be right. a, 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 a demonic beast that can be summoned. We've already seen examples of that. We've had the Smoke Baby. Right. And... Uh, and we've had the well, we've had the the, the dead raising, mm-hmm. and we have giants, and we and have dragons. dragons. There's and no there's no reason we can't have kraken. Right? There's no reason there can't be underwater dragons that just happen sure. to have eight tentacles or ten. So <laughs> I think it would be interesting to see what Dothraki, who are just trying to keep their shit together, <laughs> right, would do. If a <laughs> kraken started strangling ships, right? Yeah, I'm really curious, like. With this many people, whether they're actually going to sail all the way up to King's Landing or if they're going to make land somewhere and send at least part of the forces over land to it. Because, like, those Dothraki, they don't – it doesn't make much sense to boat them all the way over there. Hmm. But by the same token, I imagine it's much quicker than – tumbling through the stormlands and up over mountains and marshes and things. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, if they come into the harbor in King's Landing, they're going to be seen and they'll right. prepare the battlements and do all that stuff. But on the other hand, if they land to the south or something and get on horses, whatever, and start their land invasion, that's mm-hmm. a slower process. Scouts will see them. That's true. There'll be warnings. So the whole reason that ship assault on land targets happen in the first place is it's faster. Right. Can't can't be anticipated. You know, so I think they'll probably do that. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know, man. I think they'll do that. <laughs> well, so I'm trying to think if there's any other plot points that were left. I think that was pretty much it. That was the big explosive finale to season six of Game of Thrones. We had no White Walker moments at all. Not a in this, single so. White Walker. Yeah, I mean, we had we had no Clegane. We had no. There were a few other storylines that didn't yeah, get touched. No but poor Gendry. I, oh, Gendry, still paddling, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I still. I mean, and yeah, Brienne wasn't there. Pod, but right. I, I just I thought that we were going to get a little sliver, icy sliver of White Walker stuff, just because I as, agree. A, as, as a theme. It was a reminder of the bigger picture. But that's okay. I mean, I don't know how you could ask for anything more in this episode. It was just yeah, really. amazing. Yeah, it really was phenomenal. It was probably my favorite episode of Game of Thrones that I've seen. Really? really? And I think so. I don't know. It just, just from a satisfaction level, yeah. I just really enjoyed it. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of other episodes and things that I've seen that I really enjoyed as well, but there was just such a, a satisfying ending to yeah. this compared to so many others that they've done. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it was so fan service. I mean, there were, yeah. like I said at the beginning, there were so many incidents where the protagonist got the upper hand on someone that we've been gunning against for a long time, and that <laughs> right. individual actually got to experience it and know what was happening to them. Right. Right? 
We had multiple ex- examples of that where they're like, oh, I'm going to get my comeuppance, right? <laughs> right. I mean, even if you go back a couple of seasons, finales, you know, Tyrion shooting Tywin. Yeah. Tywin was totally surprised. And yeah. yeah he's, he's aware of what's happening as he's dying, but it was a total surprise what happened. That yeah, whole absolutely. sequence was just like the hot mess of stepping into a horror, you know, yeah. a, hor- a horrific scene, you know, with, with uh, what's her name's death and everything. So. This was this episode was all about people that you've been gunning for forever, finally getting what they deserved and knowing it was happening to them. So that was very satisfying. Right. Well, so now what are we supposed to do for the next year and change? I guess we watch Westworld. Yeah, man. I'm excited <clears throat> about that. So that was another sweet, sweet episode of Robot Dash Kraken. Yes. The podcast of choice for all... Uh, discriminating listeners and standard um, nerds, standard nerds, standard nerds love the show. Yeah, it's all I ever hear from them when I talk to them. How much they love the show, standard nerds do. So when you're at the um, standard nerd water cooler, it's true. So this was brought to you by your friends Tom and Chris. How can I reach you, Chris, if I want to talk to you? You can go to deeplydapper.com, and up in the upper right hand corner are all of my contact informations or just look for deeply dapper on any fine social media site you know i complained to you earlier that we have that i have trouble with our contacts section because since the russians are camping on trdl i can't just have one <laughs> thing to rule them all and third rail right. design labs but i really think you know just third rail design lab in almost every avenue is the way to reach me yeah um and we have links go to yes. our links just just look a little notes. below where this is and it will have links <laughs> below where this is yes in our in our script by going to the close i get the top half of emma stone as well <laughs> and we'll post her in the links too in case sure, you don't know who we're talking about <laughs> it almost looks like our microphone is an astrolabe maybe that's a link okay so um, I think we should probably at this point unrelease the Kraken. Yeah, let's put it back in its cage. Ca- cage the Kraken. Let's put the lid back on the Kraken. Yeah. I actually don't have the lid on my Kraken. So I <laughs> I had a fair amount of Kraken rum to me from our friends at Kraken rum. Yes. That made my Mai Tai especially good. It was the, actually a, it was a Kraken rum Mai Tai. The Kraken black spiced rum was also the major ingredient in the Doc Ock that I had tonight. With I noticed you transitioned to a Doc Ock and didn't yeah, talk about it. I didn't. I, I thought the, the sound of refreshment was clear <laughs> indication enough that Kraken Rum had entered my system instead of <laughs> Sam Adams. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, until next time, that was great. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Winter is here. Yeah, it's too, late, too late for that. It's a good effort. My watch is ended. <laughs>